The 200 Level is brought to you by DP Doe, proud supporter of the Illini on campus since 2006. Locally owned and employing a staff that truly cares about their customers, DP Doe always goes out of the way to make sure that every customer walks away happy and full. Stop in and try one of their hot boxes. This is a popular combination featuring a calzone, choice of side, and a drink. And since it is the year 2020 in the state of Illinois, they can make it extra tasty. Order direct online at dpdoe.com for their best deals and prices. Also, Brian Hansen your State Farm agent, and your local choice for insurance. Their team is made up of four local products, all born and raised in Champaign-Urbana. That's Tammy, Kennedy, Molly, and Brian. And their office is located at 408 North Ray Street, Suite A in Urbana. But they service all of Champaign County and East Central Illinois. Here for your auto, home, renters, business, and life insurance needs, give them a call at 217-344-1900. That's 344-1900. Or visit online at brianismyguy.com. And finally, 4th and Kirby, they bring vintage-inspired Illini Apparel, which is sorely needed in the market where Nike, they don't really give a crap about Illinois. One t-shirt in particular that's really cool from 4th and Kirby is one that just simply says golf school. I think we can all agree with that. Orange t-shirt, golf school with an eye beneath that. Perfect as we enter the spring and golf season kicks back up. You can order that shirt or any other awesome t-shirt or sweatshirt from 4th and Kirby online at 4thandkirby.com. Or if you're in Champaign-Urbana, just pop over to the Illini Union Bookstore and you'll see tons of their apparel at that awesome space. That's the corner of Wright Street and John. Yeah, that's right. Wright and John in Campus Town. Also got to thank IlliniInquire.com for their partnership and the relaunch of the 200 level. And of course, the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. And you can follow them on Twitter at 217showers. Now, this is not a podcast that I thought we'd be doing after the Michigan State game, but when you beat a Big Ten team at home by 26, I don't care if it's the Purdue of Brian Cardinal or Glenn Robinson, it's still Purdue. You beat them by 26, you smoked them, and you look good doing it. So, feeling pretty good as we enter episode 55 of the 200 level. We got the title Boiler Breakers from our listener Maverick Lurk. Thanks, Maverick, for sending that in. Let's do it. It's the 200 level. It is the 200 level. Mike Carpenter here from the basement on this Monday evening recording episode 55 of the 200 level entitled Boiler Breakers. Thanks to Maverick Lurk on Twitter for that. Another thing that came in was consistently inconsistent. I think that was from Mark on Twitter, but it might have been someone else as well. And I avoided that title because while it is true, this team has been consistently inconsistent. I wanted to try to bring a positive, sunny episode of the 200 level to you because it's been too long. We'd probably have to go back to after the Michigan basketball game when we last felt good about Illini Revenue Sports. And this is where it's going to get tricky as we try to dissect what happened against Purdue because there is a long-term and a short-term path that we need to consider. At the end of the day, it's one game. But On the other hand, it was such an impressive performance that you could actually say, wait a second, this team may have figured something out. Now, obviously, the games coming up are going to tell the story here beginning Wednesday night at Wisconsin. And we'll get to that because I think we learned quite a bit about this team, not only Wednesday night against Wisconsin at the Kohl Center, which I know Lante is not going to be watching that, or Saturday when they come back home and play an 11 a.m. tip against Rutgers, which if that's not trap game, I don't know what is. I don't feel great about that, but... As we sit here today for episode 55, things are feeling good in the moment. So yes, consistently inconsistent, they have been. 
When a blowout like that happens, though, you need to consider, okay, this is a team that has a lot of moving parts, and maybe we have some individuals that are figuring out what works for them. Two examples stick out, of course, Trent Frazier, who looked like freshman year Trent. He was attacking, he was playing loose, and if this is something that he can carry forward, then you feel good about Trent Frazier being a factor consistently, back to that word, for this team. Kofi was back to being Kofi, and why I'm really excited about that is because for about a stretch of, I don't know, two and a half, three weeks from Missouri to Michigan State, I was a little bit concerned. There were two off games there against Power 5 competition. Missouri did a great job kind of bottling him up, and then Michigan State, well, it's Michigan State, and I think he was a little bit shook when he went up to the Breslin Center, and a lot of freshmen, that's not uncommon when you're a freshman guy going up to a place like that for the first time. So to come back and play against Isaac Harnes like he did is very encouraging for Kofi, and he looked like the guy that we've seen for the most part this year, which leads me to believe that a game like Michigan State or a game like Missouri is the aberration and not part of some sort of midseason swoon. Of course, Wisconsin's going to be part of that storyline. I think he goes up there and actually excels at the Kohl Center, and I think it's a pretty good matchup for him. And then Alan Griffin. And this is a story that I think is... Very encouraging for Illinois, a team that as we entered this season, it would have been the wing position that we were most concerned about. When he missed out on TJ Holyfield in the offseason, I think we all thought, God, you know, that was the missing piece right there. You slot him into the starting lineup and all your problems are solved. Well, I don't know if that would have been the case, but TJ Holyfield would have been a big addition for this team. So as we entered this season, we thought, well, someone, whether it be Allen or Tevian, needs to emerge. And it looks like right before our eyes, as we're watching each and every game, Alan Griffin is becoming not just a good player, but you're looking at someone that might have star potential, which I don't know if that's jumping the gun. He's got the size, he's got the skill, he's got a motor out there, and he plays like he cares. This reminds me of the Missouri game when he got the technical for talking crap to Mark Smith. Mark Smith, of course, went on to miss two free throws after... Allen got teed up, or maybe Allen got teed up after those, I forget. Regardless, when we watched that, I went back and forth from thinking, come on, Allen, what are you doing? Because he got teed up earlier this year against Maryland. But then it kind of hit me as I stepped away from that game, thinking, you know, we could use an instigator. We could use someone that actually gets in an opponent's face, someone that talks a little trash, someone that plays with a chip on their shoulder. And Allen Griffin does. And it's always a tricky thing when you get a recruit that comes from lineage like Allen does. His dad being a longtime NBA player, Adrian Griffin, who I think is still coaching in the league right now. You never know what you're going to get. Sometimes you might get someone that might be a little bit entitled and think, well, listen, I come from maybe not basketball royalty, but I come from a bloodline that means I deserve this. But you don't get that at all from Allen. Plays his butt off, he's got the skill, and he does have an edge. This team sorely needs it. And I got to think that Underwood, who has said as much in press conferences, appreciates the fact that Allen does play with that edge. Like I said, this team needs it. It's nice to see Allen, not only is he filling a positional role in terms of being a wing that can actually give you something, but I think in terms of a mental aspect, this team needs someone that can be a junkyard dog. I think that was a John Grossism. I apologize for that ahead of time. So Allen Griffin emerging. So we got Kofi, we got Trent, we got Allen Griffin. Io, continuing to play like Io. Then we have Georgie. And this is where things get a little bit interesting, where we saw yesterday against Purdue, Brad Underwood was staggering Georgie and Kofi a little bit more than I feel like he had in games past. Trying different lineups out. And of course, everything worked last night, so it's hard to know going forward if every lineup that Brad Underwood threw out there yesterday is going to be praised after, let's say, Wisconsin, or let alone Rutgers on Saturday. But it worked. It did work on Sunday night. And Georgie is one that I think we saw 
when he's out there by himself playing the five, he still kind of looks like the Georgie from last year. I feel like there's a bit of an identity crisis that he's going through right now, and you can hardly fault him. He goes from being the center to now being essentially a stretch four when he can't shoot the three, and when he's out on the perimeter, he's essentially asked to feed it down low to Kofi. And what does Kofi do? Well, he gets all the post buckets that Georgie would have gotten last year. So what will be interesting for me going forward is to see what Georgie's role is on this team. I understand why Underwood likes the consistency from the starting five. DeMonte's not giving you a lot. I know there's the intangible argument, but I feel like the better the competition gets, the less those intangibles matter when you need five guys out on the court that can score. DeMonte simply doesn't bring you much offensively. Georgie is someone else that I think might actually benefit from coming off the bench. Underwood has talked about that he likes Alan Griffin off the bench. Okay, that's fine. And we also see that Andres Feliz tends to play better off the bench. For whatever reason that is, it works. And you really don't need Andres, Ayo, and Trent out there at the same time. With that in mind, you don't need Georgie and Kofi out there at the same time either. Let Kofi go out there for 24 minutes a game and be absolute beast mode. Let Georgie go out there for 24 minutes a game and be beast mode when he has to be down at the five position as well. And try to limit the time that they're on the court together. Maybe there is still a way to make this work. Maybe there is still a way like the Michigan game where we saw Georgie and Kofi worked great together and it looked like, oh my God, we have Tim Duncan and David Robinson college style. Well, that might be a bit of hyperbole, but it looked really good in that game. Can you count on that though? I don't think so. Can you count on Kofi to play 30, 35 minutes a game going forward? Probably not. To me, it seems like the easiest solution is to continue to stagger these guys. And I think we're getting closer and closer to that as the season goes along. But what more can you say? It was a dominant performance, and this is on the heels of arguably the worst performance of the year. I know that Michigan State looks like they might be coming around, had another big home win against Michigan over the weekend, but Illinois looked bad. And it wasn't just the fact that they were missing threes. It was a defensive lapse from, let's say, 15 minutes to the five-minute mark in the second half, where Illinois essentially quit. And that is something that we have not necessarily seen from Underwood teams. The blowouts have been few and far between. And then sometimes you might have a first half like the Miami game where you're so bad that you were forced to come back, but they did, right? They, they at least made a valiant effort. That game against Michigan State was troubling on a lot of fronts. And then you come back home 72 hours later, 96 hours later, whatever it was, in front of a crowd that was surprisingly energetic. As Sunday went along and I'm watching playoff football, to me, the Illini game was almost an afterthought. For one, I thought that they would win. I figured it's a home game in the Big Ten. Purdue is not that good away from Mackey. And Illinois will get a ho-hum victory. And we won't have any more questions answered. And even after the blowout, I don't know how many long-term questions we got answered on Sunday night. But at least in the short term, we saw what this team's ceiling is. Certainly, it can be a tournament team. And I think we could almost say certainly it should be. The Miami and the Missouri games, of course, will loom large, but this is why Wednesday is such an opportunity. But I mentioned how Trent Frazier was someone that made an impact against Purdue that you hope can carry over, and if he plays like freshman Trent, plays footloose and fancy-free like he did against Purdue, then you might have something here. He tweeted after the game about how he basically has a swagger back, and I thought first, well, that's great. You know, I'm happy to hear him say that because he played freshman year like someone with a lot of swag. I think that's just part of his character, and if he gets that back, if he felt like he lost it, that's unfortunate, but if he feels like he got it back, then that's good news for Illinois. But the one thing I always want to caution myself with this team, with this group of players, and the lack of consistency that we've seen in the Underwood era, is that if you get your swagger back from one night, not to read too much into it, that concerns me to think that these guys in that locker room might have felt like they arrived 
after the Purdue game. When you got Wisconsin at the Kohl Center up next, and talk about a slice of humble pie, you could get the biggest slice of humble pie on Wednesday night after feeling really good about yourselves. I hope that that tweet is accurate. I hope that Trent really did get some true, genuine swagger back and begins to play like himself more consistently because it didn't feel right. Trent didn't feel like Trent or look like it. And you do wonder, I had a friend, Andrew, who had texted me during the Illinois-Missouri game, or maybe in the aftermath of that, that there's something amiss with this team. And one thing that he pointed out was that Trent was essentially asked to be just a three-point shooter and that you had taken away that attacking sort of style that he had his freshman year. He was not just a three-point shooter his freshman year. He's pretty quick off the dribble. But we kind of forgot that because Io and Andres Feliz, they were the guys going to the bucket, and Trent would just kind of camp out at the three-point line. That's not his game. Well, we see signs against Purdue, at least, that we were able to work old Trent back into this offense. And for at least one night, it worked fantastically. But elsewhere with this team, back to this idea of getting their swag back, let's caution ourselves a little bit because we have seen this before, not all that long ago either. Essentially a month ago, Illinois beat Michigan at home. And we felt great after that because it was a fairly dominating performance. You led the entire way. You out Michigan. Well, what happened after that? I think there was another random non-conference game at home. And then Missouri smoked you, erasing all that goodwill. And then you lost to Michigan State in the manner in which you did. So it would not shock me if you go up to Wisconsin and lose by 12, 13, 14 points. That can happen to even good teams. I get it. The problem is, as we go through the season, you really need to take advantage of these opportunities because as you go week to week, those opportunities to get quality wins, let alone on the road, are going to continue to diminish. So Trent throws out this tweet about swag. Again, I like the notion. I hope that that does not get equated to complacency. I don't want this team to stagnate or feel like they've arrived. But it got me thinking a bit about social media because going back to Friday, I think that Michigan State-Illinois game was on Thursday. On Friday, there was an Instagram and tweet from Illini Basketball, and they were lifting, weightlifting, and it said, hashtag everyday guys. Now, I had tweeted out in response to that, they're really going to ride this everyday guys thing to the point of self-parody. Kind of began an interesting conversation with some people on my Twitter timeline. A lot of people, because you know, in the aftermath of a loss, no one's feeling good about Illini Basketball. Everyday guys seems like a misnomer for a team that's been as I think Mark had suggested on Twitter, consistently inconsistent, right? That's what this team has been. Certainly not an everyday guy kind of team. So to me, that's just kind of a hashtag that rings hollow. While I also understand that the people on the social media side of things are doing their job and they need to try to sell the best parts of what they can. They aren't going to come on Twitter and say, man, that sure did suck last night. That's not their job. I get it. It is low-hanging fruit. So for me to even broach the social media thing, is something I've kind of wrestled with to think, okay, well, is there anything to really kind of mine out with this? Someone had actually tweeted out, well, can you come up with a better hashtag than that, Carp? You know, what do you got? If you're going to complain about it, you got to have a solution. And I thought on that, and no, I didn't have a hashtag that came to mind, a hashtag that would work better than everyday guys. But then I thought to myself, well, wait a second. I'm not the guy making $3 million a year to come up with a hashtag or motto for my team. So when I do get that position at a Power 5 university to make $3 million plus to head a basketball program, then you can task me with the job of finding a hashtag for my basketball program. Until then, guess what? I get a little bit of leeway to poke fun at a hashtag that just doesn't work for this team. Yet, after all that, we could still find our way to a point where hashtag everyday guys isn't something that we scoff at. 
beginning with Wisconsin. That's kind of the mantra for today. With the Wisconsin game at Cole Center, no one ever feels good about that, let alone Lante, really never feels good about it. We have not won there since 2010 in the aftermath of that, let's see, game day came to town. That's right. Illinois beat Michigan State on game day on a Saturday night, and then I think that Tuesday or Wednesday went up to Cole Center and won that. At that point, we're feeling pretty good, not just about making the tournament, but what seed are we going to get? Guess what? They didn't make the tournament. Well, I think this team can go a long way to making the tournament with a win at Wisconsin. Later on, Isaac Ambrose, who was in with me for the next segment, kind of went through the schedule and tried to find our way to 20 wins. And we did, and we still included a home loss. We included a couple disappointing losses throughout on the road to, like, let's say, Rutgers or something like that, which is certainly a possibility. They are not that bad. But yeah, even including a more realistic prediction, we found our way to 20 wins. So the question is going to be, do we get the Purdue, Illinois? Do we get the Michigan State, Illinois? Or do we get something in between? In this Big Ten, something in between those two performances will get you most of the wins at home. I wouldn't be shocked if this team held serve at home. I think they might slip up once. But I think that the talent level has risen to a point where maybe you avoid the home loss against, well, hopefully Rutgers, even though (laughs) I could be dating myself very quickly if they lose to Rutgers on Saturday. But I do think that the talent level, again, has raised itself to a point where you can avoid that, unlike some of the gross teams where there was a talent limitation there, let alone last year. You know, when Penn State came to town on the flying Illini day and it just kicked your butt. Well, that wasn't a very good Illinois team. This one, they've raised that floor. But to 20 wins, you get to 20 wins, you're going to be in the tournament. That would mean that you have 12 wins in conference, 12 and 8. So later on, Isaac and I can do that exercise. I know it's futile whenever whenever you do a sort of dare to dream thing, but we did it and we found our way to 20 wins in a not crazy way. That included some quality wins throughout and a disappointment or two. But yeah, it is a Jekyll and Hyde thing. You know, we felt the same way after the Michigan game. And the team felt that swagger that Trent was alluding to. I'm sure they felt it after that Michigan game. And unfortunately, what we saw that manifest itself in was a Missouri performance in which they were lifeless. And I really do think they entered that Missouri game thinking they were going to waltz in there and kick their butt. I thought that as a fan, that they were going to be able to walk in there with a B-minus effort and still get a win because Missouri was that bad. Well, as a fan, I can think that. As someone sitting behind a microphone, I can think that. If I'm in the locker room or on the court, the minute I think that, the game's already over. And Missouri came out and they punked Illinois. I don't think you go to Cole Center feeling quite as cocky as you would facing Missouri. They've owned you. This is an unbelievable streak that Wisconsin's on. I'd have to look it up. I know it's in the double digits. I think the last time Illinois beat Wisconsin was, I don't know, has did John Gross beat them? It might have been Bruce Weber, his last team or two, at the Assembly Hall, back when it was called the Assembly Hall in 2011 or 12. And I know for sure the last time you won on the road at Cole Center was 2010. That's insane. As I was seeing earlier today, Robert from Illini, he was tweeting out about the streak that Illinois had against Wisconsin back in the 80s and the 90s in basketball. And I think maybe once Dwayne Dwayne got there, then Wisconsin basketball wasn't terrible. They were sort of like what Penn State is now. They were pesky in the 90s. And then they emerge later on with Dick Bennett. He makes a Final Four run. Then there was the bald guy. Was his name Soderberg? Brad Soderberg? Who was their coach for a year before they brought in Bo Ryan. I think that's the order in which those guys went. But they did rise from pesky to perennial top four team in the Big Ten. 
Now they're more top half of the Big Ten. Yes, I understand they got the one against Ohio State. I understand that Greg Gard in five seasons has gotten five top five wins. This is what Wisconsin does. Are they the same kind of threat that they were with Bo Ryan? Absolutely not. So this is a very nice bit of timing for Illinois to go up after feeling good about a win at home against Purdue to a Wisconsin team that's feeling good themselves after winning on the road against Ohio State. I don't think Wisconsin is probably a top 20 team despite that win. They're going to get some wins that they maybe shouldn't because they're Wisconsin basketball. But I tell you what, if you go up there and you beat them at Kohl Center after they just went in and smacked around an Ohio State team on their court, how good does that win look? Not just, you know, in our little circle here in Champaign-Urbana or the state of Illinois, but nationally. That would get some coverage. Illinois goes into Wisconsin and they get the win. College basketball writers would pay notice to that and say, well, wait a second. This Illinois team that preseason had some expectations, maybe they're figuring some things out. We see the individual pieces. That's why the Miami-Missouri games were all the more disappointing. We see the individual pieces. And yet it was so disjointed. It was disjointed against Michigan State as well, which is why we try to caution ourselves before a game like Wisconsin, which... Let's be honest, it doesn't matter how good the Illinois team is, we would caution ourselves before any game in the Kohl Center. But this one especially, because of that inconsistency. I don't predict a win because how could you? How could you predict a win going up to Kohl Center when recent history, and by recent I mean the last decade, would tell you that you don't really stand a chance up there? And that some of the better performances that Illinois has had at the Kohl Center have resulted in, oh, I don't know, a 13 or 14 point loss instead of the 22 or 23 point loss. We shall see. I'm excited to watch Wednesday because I do feel like we will actually learn something about this team, which sounds kind of silly after I just go on record saying, well, they're super inconsistent and night to night they can change. But I do think that this point in the year as we enter mid-January, I mean, God, the game's going to be on January 8th. Before you know it, the next two home games after that, January 11th and the 18th, pretty soon we're going to be in February. So where is Illinois going to be when you enter that month? That's the question. And if you want to get to that point where you enter February, not worrying about a tournament bid, but actually playing for seeding, there is a path to do that. At Wisconsin being the first opportunity for a really high quality win. And then Rutgers and Northwestern at home on two consecutive Saturdays. That would get you, even if you just won the home games, to four and three in the Big Ten. With two road games coming up after that. At Purdue, at Michigan. You're starting to get to a point where you need to split road games like that. Like, I don't know, maybe you win at Michigan. They're starting to fade a little bit, and it looks like Livers is going to be out for a while. But let's say you split those road games against Purdue and Michigan. Well, all of a sudden, you're 5-4, and four, entering a home game against Minnesota. Okay, well, maybe that's something that can get you into February 6-4 and four in the Big Ten. At Iowa, that ain't going to happen. I mean, I know Lon always talks about the Kohl Center. Same thing as Carver-Hawkeye. You don't win there for some reason. Unless you've got John Eakey making a final three-pointer. Maryland-Michigan State. That is really the key to this year. Friday, February 7th, Tuesday, February 11th, Maryland at home, Michigan State at home, banking on those two teams still being top 15 by the time they get here. And the way Michigan State's playing, they could be top five. But you get them away from Breslin Center, you got a shot. And a Tuesday night crowd at the State Farm Center, 8 o'clock game, I'm guessing ESPN, I'd have to check that. I don't think it's posted here on my little score app. Come on. And that's the other thing, too. Think about this. Sunday night, 7 o'clock. My dad and I have talked about this, about how it's just weird to have these Sunday night games. The Big Ten used to never have it. I think if I recall, ACC would often have Sunday night games. 
And then Monday nights were all about the Big 12. Big Monday on ESPN, so it'd be Kansas, Kansas State, Oklahoma State versus Oklahoma. Those were fun matchups to watch. But really, the Big 10 was Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, and maybe the off Sunday noon start. So Sunday night, 7 o'clock, I'm in decompression mode. There's this old Seinfeld, the Puerto Rican Day Parade episode where Elaine just wants to get home because it's Sunday and 60 minutes is on and she decompresses and gets ready for the next week. That's me on a Sunday. I want to chill out. And that's what I did Sunday night. Got on the couch. I was ready to watch The Mandalorian after the game, which I did. Love The Mandalorian. Baby Yoda is super cute. And I settle in and relax. But meanwhile, there's 15,000 people at the State Farm Center going nuts. And my dad made a comment of that. He said, this crowd is better than the Michigan crowd. As we talked to Isaac later on, he said it was a fantastic crowd. Anyone that was there said the same thing. And to think that Illinois could draw that kind of crowd on a Sunday night in early January without the students, after getting your butt kicked on the road against Michigan State, tells you everything you need to know about this fan base and how it won't take them long to get back in the fold. Brad Underwood is not a warm and fuzzy guy. We know that. One thing that I kind of posited on Twitter earlier this week was in year three, and I said this on last week's episode too, how have you gotten to a point with a third-year coach where no one really seems to love him, right? I mean, Brad Underwood, when he got hired, I think we all liked that hire because he was a little bit different. He wasn't warm and fuzzy. We needed a guy with an edge. Well, when you aren't winning games, all of a sudden, it doesn't matter what your attitude is. You just kind of grow tired of that personality. We deal with gross. We did with Bruce Weber for sure. And now that Underwood wasn't winning, same thing. I just If there was a Q rating for Underwood, I don't know where it'd be at even now. And yet they showed up for this team that has not given them a lot of reasons to have any faith that they're going to get anything done consistently. Which leads me to the mantra for the rest of this basketball season. Just make the stupid tournament. It doesn't matter. I mean, play-in game might be a little bit anticlimactic, but just make the stupid tournament. And there is a path to enter February firmly in the tournament. It starts against Wisconsin, but you still have opportunities on the road against Purdue and Michigan as well. The Big Ten will probably put seven or eight teams in there. I don't know about nine, but I could see eight. You already have, I think, six teams in the top 25. Michigan State probably is the best of the lot. They're starting to ascend to the rightful place. But other than that, you got a big mess of top 25 caliber teams. Can Illinois be a top 25 caliber team? Yes, they can be. At their best, they look top 25 caliber. Otherwise, you were not beating Purdue. I don't care where you play them. You were not beating Purdue by 26 points and holding them to 37. 37 points. I remember going to the 38-33 Illinois-Penn State game back in 2009. You held a Big Ten team to 37 points. And keep this in mind, it was not easy for Purdue to get those 37 points. We're talking mid-range jumpers. Tim Miles noted that on the broadcast last night. And as the game progressed, I'm like, you're right. They're basically getting mid-range jumpers. Nothing is coming easy for Purdue. Yes, it was not a great shooting night from deep. That's not uncommon for them outside of Mackey. But come on, 37 points. That is impressive. That was an old-fashioned butt-kicking, and Illinois was on the right side of it. So when you look at floor and ceiling of this team, certainly it is different than John Gross years. The problem is the inconsistency just made it feel all too familiar to a John Gross team. I really don't want to enter March with a must-win at Ohio State or a must-win at home against Iowa. Let those games be bonus. Let's go into that Ohio State game thinking, my God, if you win that, 
you might get a six seed, maybe a five, which, you know, it would have sounded crazy to me after the Michigan State game. But you look at the Big Ten, home teams are winning. Illinois might very well hold serve at home. Of course, the two big games are Maryland, Michigan State in early February, but they very well may hold serve at home. Again, if they lose to Rutgers, boy, is this podcast going to be horribly dated. Uh, but this is just one of those years in the Big Ten. I remember John Gross teams, and they could not find their way off the bubble, as my friend Steve Breitweiser used to say. We did. We started the 200 level the winter of 2016, and that was John Gross's last ride, and yet they couldn't find themselves off the bubble. This team is better than that when they want to be, when they play like it, when they play with some you know fire under their butts. If they continue to do that, hold serve at home and get a couple wins on the road, that's it. All you got to do. If only it were that easy, right? This is Illinois basketball. And if there's anything I've learned in this last decade, it ain't going to come easy. But what I would like to think, the optimist in me would like to think, it's like you're knocking at the door. And if you just break it down once, you can reverse the trend. You can become the team that is on the right side of the bubble throughout the year. You can reverse your fortunes, and I think you can relatively quickly with basketball. Football, which we're going to take a little bit of a break from that until the next signing period, that's, you know, more tough sledding, let alone for Illinois football. But for basketball, we've seen it, and that's evidenced by the fans that showed up on a Sunday night to cheer a team that had not given them consistent reasons to cheer for them. That is encouraging. And, you know, we can say what we want about Illini fans. I've seen a few things criticizing them, and sometimes I get it, where if you go on Twitter, and I hope that I don't feed too much into the echo chamber, I guess. I don't want to necessarily be a negative Nancy or overly cynical. I certainly try to call it as I see it. And unfortunately, in the last decade, there's been a lot of negative to talk about. But I really do think Illinois fans have a resiliency and a persistence to them that is not all that common. When you look at what it takes to get Illini fans excited, that bar can be pretty low. When you ask them, what are your expectations? What would make you just a happy Illini sports fan? I think most would reply, make NCAA tournaments for basketball and make bowl games, let's say, two out of three years, right? Make it more often than you don't. These are meager expectations. I talked about those last week. Now, we can wish for more, but before we start wishing for Big Ten titles, I want to reach that first kind of milestone, making the NCAA tournament, knowing what it's like to go into a Sunday selection show and wonder, when are we going to show up? Not if, but when. And that is a feeling that has been gone for far too long. I look at Isaac and Trevor, young guys, right? I mean, they're 22, 23 years old, 10 years younger than I am, and this is their new reality. And it's let's be honest, it's my new reality too. As someone who's 33, this is still the last seven years that you haven't made it. What I would give what used to be the tradition was this, Selection Sunday, back when I was living at my parents' house up, up through college, even in college, I'd usually go home on Selection Sunday. We'd get monocles at five o'clock. We'd sit down, watch Greg Gumbel and Clark Kellogg and Seth Davis, whoever else, unveil the picks, and we'd fill out our brackets right then and there. It makes such a difference when Illinois is in the tournament. I have not filled out a bracket since Illinois has been missing the tournament. I don't have the interest level. Of course, I watch the games, I love the opening weekend, and I love the Final Four, but it is different when you don't have a dog in the fight. So again, the mantra for this next two and a half month stretch of the 200 level, make the stupid tournament. And we're going to learn a lot this week as to whether or not this team, I don't know about turned a corner, I, I, 
I cannot go that far because I've seen way too many crazy things in this last decade of Illini basketball. But they don't need to turn the corner so much as they just need to be pretty good. And they have the talent to be pretty good. They do that. They get a couple road wins. We got something here. Wednesday night, I'm not going to go so far as to predict a win at Wisconsin. That would be silly of me to do because no recent history suggests that. And Wisconsin is playing really good ball. But what's really weird is to enter a game against the Badgers where I would say, Illinois, muck it up. Make it messy. Let Kofi be a beast down low. Georgie's going to have to get a little bit nitty-gritty down there as well. You don't need a ton of threes, made threes to win this game. But you got to get to the line and you got to avoid fouling. And this is what's weird is Illinois is starting to avoid fouling teams. We've seen it most of this year, which is a hallmark of Wisconsin basketball. So now Illinois is also a team that plays great defense and doesn't foul the opponent. Whatever the over-under is on Wednesday night, I'd take the under. Then who knows? It might be 75 to 68 when all said and done. I'm a terrible gambler. Don't take my advice. But I, I just get the hunch that this is going to be a slugfest ugly basketball, but if you get the win, ugly basketball can be beautiful. I don't care what style was played. If you get the W on the road, how good would that feel? Imagine going to work on Thursday with Illinois four and two in conference, sorry, three and two in conference with a huge road win in their back pocket. It could happen, not counting on it, but who knows? See, that's me hedging my bet. I had posted something on Twitter right before the Purdue game. Eh, they could win, but I don't know. And someone said, wow, great analysis. And I said, you know what? You're right. That's not analysis. Because I didn't know what to make of this team. And I still don't know what to make of this team. But my God, what a tantalizing taste of what they could be with the 26-point win at home against Purdue. Okay, now we are in 2020 for the 200 level. Harry Black is in Connecticut. We miss him already. Trevor and I have been texting with him as he kind of gets settled in to the mothership out there in Connecticut, and he'll be out there, well, for the foreseeable future. So we will hopefully get him on, whether it be Skype interviews. Well, we are not going to lose touch with Harry Black. I can guarantee that. Isaac Ambrose is setting in, and in fact, he was the only one here today because Trevor had a bunch of travel issues coming back from his eight, nine-day trip to San Jose. He was out there for the bowl game, flew back into O'Hare. He spent the night at O'Hare, and then his morning flight got canceled. I think he just got back, as I'm recording this at 7 o'clock on Monday night, just got back into town. We will get Trevor back next week. He was honest with us on the thread, me and Isaac, that he didn't watch really any of the Purdue game and just a tiny bit of the Michigan State game. So he wouldn't have had a whole lot to add, but we tried to do our best with some of the talking points he had thought of as well. So next week, the whole trio will be here. Before we get to Isaac Ambrose, just a reminder, DP Doe, all the best deals and prices online at dpdoe.com. What better thing to eat? during the Illinois-Wisconsin game than a tasty calzone. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. You can get a custom zone, and they got a bunch of different zones that you can order. Uh, the Maui Wowie is a classic DP Doe calzone that's got the pineapple and the ham and the cheese. And if you look at the amount of food you get and the bang for your buck from DP Doe, all the more reason to get it. It's a great lunch destination as well. And while students are gone, if you need to pick it up and you're one of those that don't like going to campus, well, why not go in there, swoop it yourself? But again, dpdo.com for best deals and prices. And if you're in Champaign-Urbana, they will deliver anywhere. Also, State Farm Agent Brian Hansen for all your home, auto, life, business, renters, insurance, you name the insurance, they probably got it. Brianismyguy.com. And finally, fourth and Kirby, Isaac and I talked about this during the segment. Where's the cool Nike Illini stuff? Nowhere to be found. 
Well, why not get vintage-inspired Illini apparel? You can get that online at 4 Kirby.com. Also, thanks to Jeremy Warner and the Illini Inquirer staff for partnering with us in our relaunch. I don't know how many episodes I can continue to say relaunch because it's now, I think, 17 since we came back, 17, 18. But whatever. They've been helpful along Champagne Showers Podcast Network to get the 200-level out there to some listeners that might not have otherwise found us. And last but not least, thank you to the listeners. And if you could do me a solid on iTunes or any other podcast app, many of them have a review and rating feature. If you can pop a rating and review on iTunes especially, that helps us get found for Apple Podcast users, iTunes users, any Apple product just really moves us up the charts. So appreciate all those that have. Some very nice reviews came in last week, and they do mean a lot. So uh, thank you again to the listeners for sticking with us, and we're hoping for a more fruitful 2020 for Illini Revenue Sports. That game against Purdue, not a bad start. Okay, it's time to bring on our good friend Isaac Ambrose. He's going to be sitting in on the third mic now that Harry is out in Connecticut, and it was good to talk with Isaac in a way, not too bad a timing that Trevor didn't make it here because we took some time to get to know Isaac, let him get to know the audience. He is a cool kid. And what I like about Isaac that I think is going to work really well with me, him and Trevor, you got to get along with the people that you do a radio show with. I know that there's some popular radio combos that eventually they hated each other. Opie and Anthony, they don't even talk to each other anymore. I'm sure Howard Stern has people he's worked with in the past that he just doesn't talk to, but it really helps. Whenever you hit the record button and get behind a microphone to enjoy the company of the person that you're talking to, Isaac is certainly no exception to that. So excited to watch him grow on this show. I think you'll enjoy the conversation. Heavy on Illini basketball. A little bit about social media, which I know is low-hanging fruit, but interesting to get his take on really what does it mean when a college athlete goes to Twitter and shares his thoughts. I mean, they're navigating a minefield when they do something like that. I do not envy these 18 to 22-year-olds that are playing high-level sports, and they just want to share how they're feeling, but there's always a potential repercussion. One example of that recently was Casey Washington, the Illinois wide receiver, and Andrew Hayes Stoker had a a bizarre response that basically said, hey, kid, don't go on Twitter sharing your feelings to an innocuous tweet. We also talk about how, for whatever reason, coaches seem to have a worse handle on Twitter and social media in general than they're student-athletes. Kind of bizarre, right? Uh, but plenty other things that we cover along with a little bit getting to know Isaac segment at the end of our conversation. So without further ado, it's Isaac Ambrose, the 200 level. It is the 200 level live from the basement, Mike Carpenter with Isaac Ambrose. Hey, Isaac. Carp, it's good to be here, man, again. So Trevor Belize, he is stranded, or was at least, up at O'Hare on his way back from San Jose. He was out for, I think, eight or nine days out there for the bowl game, and then he had a layover on the way out there. One night he had to spend in Dallas, Yes. and on the way back, one night he had to spend in O'Hare, thanks to American Airlines, could not there, a sponsor of the 200 level. Could there be a worse place? I, I was just thinking today of like worse places to be stuck. It's like the airport, airport is like, like, nobody wants to be there. No. Like, nobody's happy. Most people are trying to get somewhere else and they're messing with your money, you know, like the airlines, you're paying them all this money and to fly you somewhere 
And then, like in Trevor's situation, they didn't fly him somewhere, and they were basically telling him it was his fault. Yeah, basically, it is all about not taking any sort of responsibility for yes. it and calling it an act of God. Apparently, what happened is, on the flight back from what would have been Chicago to Champaign. So here's the thing that makes it all the worse, is Trevor is just in Chicago. It's really it's not, not that far. Yeah. No, it makes it worse in a way. So he's spending the night over in O'Hare because the pilot for the flight from O'Hare to Champaign overslept. Okay. So. Based on, I think, the act of God comes in because there was a storm or something, and their last flight went late, and then now Trevor got to spend an extra night in O'Hare of all places. That just makes, I think it was American Airlines, right? Mm-hmm. That yeah. makes the airlines look so bad. Like, your your pilot doesn't know how to set an alarm. Therefore, we punish all of our yeah, people 150. Flying. Well, and I, don't, I say 150. It's probably one of those smaller planes, yeah, maybe right, like 75 so or something like that. Yeah. But even so, uh, so he will be back next week. But we yeah. do have Isaac Ambrose starting a, a longer stint yeah. on the 200 level. Excited about that. Harry Black is now out in Connecticut starting at the mothership. Um, but we keep rolling. We keep we rolling. We do. Yeah, it's good, man. He's a football guy. Or if you had to say, like, let's let's say pie chart yeah. here, okay, 100% between football and basketball, what gets the split here? So it's kind of funny because I'm a football guy at heart. Like, that's my favorite sport. That's I didn't play a ton of basketball growing up, um, but something about Illini basketball. So I'm a diehard for both, but something about just you get to know the players. You know, like you see their faces all the time. There's only you know ten or thirteen relevant players on the team that you have to know. True, but when it's football, it's like okay, there's. 80, 90-some dudes in the program. And, and you, the helmet factor. Yes. You, you don't, don't see their, their face. face. Exactly. So with basketball, there is, a, there is a more personalized kind of thing that comes with it. And the, sorry, the thing I love about basketball is like, okay, just the other night we were pissed off about Michigan State, right? But it's then... Just a tiny bit. We just have two... I mean, we just had to wait like two or three days, you know? And then we see the Purdue game. But when you when you lose, when you get murdered to 63-0 to zero, um, by Iowa at home, and then... You have to wait an entire week just to see something else disappointing. And football is so much more – it takes so much more to turn it around. So with basketball, there's always a little bit of hope, right? Because you're like, okay, we could just be hitting all of our threes and beating Duke. Or we could be missing everything and lose to North Carolina. And, and there's precedent for Illinois basketball. Yes. Exactly. And, and you and Trevor have the disadvantage of not really having grown up necessarily with Illinois basketball mm-hmm. consistently making tournaments. But even without that, you guys are still gravitating, I think for the both of you, more to Illinois basketball. And you, you raise a couple points. One is the frequency. So yes. we get to come on here. And this is the good news, bad news with basketball. More games to talk about. But by Wednesday, this thing's going to be dated. Mm-hmm. Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, when it tips off at Kohl Center, well, all of a sudden, this episode isn't so relevant anymore. So that is one good thing about football season. Uh, but you also brought up the personalized kind of thing where you get to know the 10, 11, maybe 13 deep if you really get into it. I mean, I can I can name you a bunch of walk-ons from the past. Steve Roth was the first one I remember way back in the day. Fred and Ken Day was the big guy for 2005. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think of some other guys throughout the years that would have been um, kind of crowd favorites, like Bubba Chisholm. Hmm. Does that name ring a bell? No. And that would have been, I think, like 08, 09. He was a fan favorite. Nate Mast, kid from Champaign Central. So all these guys that, if you gave me the football equivalent, hmm. someone on the you know 75 to 90 on that you know 90-player yeah. death chart – you wouldn't get to know them. They wouldn't be. They wouldn't kind of ingratiate themselves with the fans like a basketball player. Would. And I, I will admit, so I was born in '98, um, and I didn't really become like diehard probably until 2010s. I'll admit. So, so when you're when you're that young yes. for the Final Four run, because I do remember. I remember that where I was at. And okay. Where I was watching. It. Where I were do. you at when your six, seven year old Isaac Amber was okay, watching it? Okay. So my mom went to U of I, so that's why it's like kind of in my blood and everything. Okay. My parents are from Illinois. 
were over. It was super crazy, actually, because our neighbors across the street randomly were Arizona graduates. So we go over. We're hanging out in their basement. I specifically remember. And I remember... Um, and where is this at, by the way? Oh, sorry. This is in uh, Belleville, Illinois. That's where I grew up for the first like 10 years of my life. Belleville, Belleville, Belleville is Illinois. St. Louis area, Yes, correct? it's like 15 or 20 minutes outside of St. Louis. Malcolm Hill. Yes, exactly. Okay. He went to Belleville East, I believe. Yeah. Um, I remember, I mean, I still pout about Illinois, but I was really pouting because I would have been, what, like seven. That's the age where you, I don't know about you, but when I was that young, I would look to my dad or another adult to be like, tell me it's going to be okay. Yes, 100%. Yeah. My, okay, so my side note, my mom is the most optimistic person I've ever met. So I'm sitting here saying, mom, Illinois sucks. We're, you know, we're losing by 15. We shouldn't have even came to this game. Why do we come over to these people? I mean, I was seven, even though I still do that a little bit today, but... <laughs> and we're down. It never, it never fully goes no, away. We're down no. 15 with, uh, I think it was two and a half minutes left, correct? It was down 15 with 356. 356. I think. Okay. Channing Fry hit a three. Yes. It gets the under four timeout. So maybe it was 410, maybe it was 356, but I remember distinctly at that time. And I'm, an, I'm a senior in high school. Yes. So that's the difference. You're six, seven years old. I'm a right. senior in high school. And I had had a whole two decades worth of Illini basketball experience to feel like this was a one shot deal. Yeah. You know, like if, if we don't get to raise at least a final four banner. What was this 37 and one start for? What was the point of it? Exactly. And, and then I just remember they started hitting shots and my mom started being positive and little old me was coming out of the corner being upset about it. Um, and that's where I remember witnessing the best, one of the best Illinois basketball games of all time. There will, well, the thing I think about with that game in particular, even if they win a national title, yeah, it's not going to be as good as that moment. No. Which sounds weird, but yeah. it was that kind of singular sports moment where when you lived through it, you knew, well, I'm never going to forget that. Right. You're always going to be chasing that. and uh, But also realizing that you're never going to attain that kind of crazy comeback. And he said you watched it with Arizona people, though. Yeah. Because and... that, that's the one thing that for every comeback, there is a collapse. And right. this is the ultimate example. So though. the one basketball game... Illini fans never want to forget is the one one of the only basketball games Arizona fans probably do want to forget. Yeah, because had, it probably still stings. And they've still had, I mean, yeah, they haven't done well in the tournament, but they've had a decent 2010s, you know, a decent um, I mean, relative, Sean, Miller, Sean Miller has kept them top 15. Yes, and I mean, whether he's done that the right way or the wrong way, you can, you have to <laughs> look. A discussion. You have to look. Yeah, we were saying, I was talking about that with Trevor uh, a couple weeks ago. It's like the things that make you go, hmm, you know? Just yeah, like, and, and no repercussions. Yeah, so I mean, we play there in November on the Pac-12 network, and it's like nothing happened. So there is straight-up evidence that Sean Miller, you know, like, I think it was he he gave DeAndre Ayton like $100,000. Somehow yeah. he funneled it into his account. Yet then, And you like you wonder why the next year they have one of the best recruiting classes again. What a coincidence. He didn't get in trouble. No, of course not. So uh, the one thing with that Arizona team in 05, if I recall, yeah. Lute Olsen, every single one of his senior classes had made a Final Four. Wow. I think Tom Izzo had a similar run going where every he on cue every four years, his senior class would have gotten to at least one Final Four. And I don't know if Salim Stoudemire was a senior that year. I think he was. Hassan Adams, Channing Fry, those are the three names I remember distinctly from that team. Probably a couple other seniors on there as well, but I think I recall in that game that storyline being thrown out there. But I, I had a weird feeling about that game. Illinois was up, I think, six or seven and a half. They were, they were fine. Not a big deal, but they didn't look like themselves in some way. The first 15 minutes of the second half, 
they looked bad. They looked like Weber teams did from 07 to 2012, right? Just stagnant. The offense wasn't really moving. And then in just four minutes, it really, for me, um, national championship aside, we're still chasing that. That gave me something that um, for a long time, for about eight, nine years, I was able to kind of go back to that and right. get get the sort of from the reserves. I was able to get you know that enjoyment of a fan. But now we're talking about something that is as far removed from where we are today. 15, right? 15 as the years. 89 team essentially was Jeez. to the 05 team. Yeah. So, And I remember all year long, well, who would win? We're talking to Kenny Battle, Kendall Gill. Oh, we'd beat those guys. And then they'd ask Dean Darren, oh, well, it would be a great game. And what a cute storyline. And never would I have guessed, though, that we would be 15 years removed from that team. And the most we would have done is won, I believe, two NCAA tournament games total. It's just sad. Like, mm-hmm. every time... Okay, this is when you know this is when you know all those games take too long to happen. I will have <laughs> I will have friends after the Wisconsin game, probably like ten or fifteen people I haven't talked to in a while, but they know I'm an Illini fan and they feel bad for me. After the Wisconsin win this year in football, got a bunch of texts from random people. I remember last year, uh, when Illinois beat MSU uh, sure. on national TV, that I got a bunch of texts from people. So like that's when you know it's a problem. I'm not texting my I'm a, I, I pay attention to Michigan State. I have a few Michigan State friends. When, but you don't need to... Congr- they, right. They, when they, they went to the Final Four last year, I didn't text all my Michigan State friends and say, oh, great job. This is great for your program. And even though it was a huge win, that's something we'd remember like for 20 years. You know the problem when you get congratulated like that is it feels a bit like... I pity, I pity it's you. It's pity, man. I, I'm, I feel so bad for your plight. Congratulations. Here's a cookie. And with <sighs> here's the thing I mentioned last week, too, is that you mentioned the Wisconsin game, which that is something that the older I get, whatever place that game takes in Illini history mm-hmm. will always have a bit of an asterisk for me because I didn't watch it. Uh, yeah, you were at a wedding. I was at a wedding in Louisville, oh, no. and we're just following it on the score thing. And, of course, I watch the highlights, right. and I watch a replay later, but that's not going to compare to watching it live and experiencing that crazy upset. But with upsets, it all comes down to the meaningfulness, if that's a word, of those upsets all comes down to what happens next, right? So in the case of the 05 comeback, you didn't win the national title, but that got you to the final four. You get a raise a banner. That is always going to have its place. The Tyler Griffey shot against Indiana. Ah. Yeah, that got into the tournament that year. It propelled them. And for that, I mean, that still is meaningful, but it didn't really propel the John Gross era like I think I or a lot of other people felt like. You could argue it went downhill from there. It did, even though I did have an interesting thought as I'm watching Illinois get pummeled by Michigan State. I don't know if you saw this or not, but essentially in three years, so John Gross five seasons at Illinois, makes the tournament year one. Year two, year three, year five, close. Essentially one game away. And if you were to change the results of three games total in John Gross's tenure, he makes the tournament four out of five years. His second year, if they would have just simply beaten Georgia Tech early, but more likely it would have been beating Michigan in the Big Ten tournament. Tracy Abrams layup that wasn't okay right. or a floater it was in between then you would have had his third his third team which I think was the most talented Ray Rice Ray Rice was unbelievable Kendrick that year Nunn, right Kendrick Nunn Malcolm Hill was Nana Egwu yep was on that team point guard was the issue yes Ahmad Starks oh no Aaron Cosby <laughs> that was just a the stretch of point guards you could have probably found like nothing personal against no, those not. guys you could have probably found four or five better point guards in one of like the sub-major conferences. Well, and the problem was by striking out on these prime guys, yes. eventually you got uh, John Lucas and he was okay. Yeah, but, was, And I don't, I don't think he was on that team, but regardless no, of the yeah. third year, if you just win at Purdue in the final game of the regular season, you make it. Or if you win a game in the Big Ten tournament, you probably make it as well. And then his fifth year, of course, 
You beat Michigan State at home. Senior night, Malcolm Hill goes off. Everyone's feeling good. All you got to do is beat Rutgers. And I remember this is what the weird kind of, um, especially with the 200 level, Brightweiser and I started it that winter. And the whole thing with those 12 weeks let's or 10 weeks up until Gross getting fired was Illinois would win an important game. Then they lose just this boneheaded, let's say, to Penn State at home by 15. And then they beat Michigan State at home. And then they go on the road and they lose a buzzer beater, essentially, to Rutgers. And then they're out of the tournament. So this season, basically. That's so that's what I'm worried about, yeah. right? Is the Michigan State game to the Purdue game. We're calling this episode Boiler Breakers because I want to keep a positive spin on it. But also, we can't forget the four days ago. In, and I know the threes weren't falling. And that is something that can correct itself potentially. But that was a messy performance by any measure. So what team do we get? I think we're ultimately going to see both of these uh, these two Illini teams throughout the year interchangeably. And then what does that get you? I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot to digest in what you just said. And it's hard to... We've been through so many years of this. It's hard to not look back, you know, at the gross era and start to get nightmares. But you see, you, but here's the thing: I, what worried me after the Michigan State game is I was looking back somewhat fondly. And God knows if anyone remembers the show <laughs> back in the day, I was anything but fond of the gross era, beginning with year three when they lost to Purdue like that. That was a turning point. The thing I remember most: so after gross didn't take us to the tournament. Um, so we w- went to the tournament, lost to Miami. Then, you know, the next three years were disappointments. Which for that Miami game, by the way, was like... Illinois should have won. Pro- I mean, could have sh- won. They should have won. And I remember, too, that Illinois Productions put out a video afterwards okay. of John Gross talking to the team. And this is just the beginning. He said all the right things. And as a fan, keep in mind, we're still on the trail of Cliff Alexander at that point, of Quentin Snyder. It felt like even though we lost that game, it was the biggest moral victory that I can remember experiencing as an Illini fan. Didn't really feel sad so much as I felt like we're on our way. Well, that just becomes an expectation, too. So then Gross does that his first year, and then it's like, where is that the next year? And But I do remember, you know, the the, la- the end of the Gross era, being so sick of that guy. Like, anytime I would see him, I would say, like, this, who is this team? Like, we, I specifically There's no identity, No, really. I think it was Maryland. I mean, there were so many games like this. You you would beat somebody good, and then we play Maryland, and it was like 22 to 4 to start the game. Or in Indiana, I think that same Yes, year. exactly. So, which I, you started off down maybe like 22 to 3. Yeah. And then I remember after that game, some people saying, well, you played him even in the second half. Well, you still lost by 18. Right. And that team, I forget when things kind of switch, but as Brightweiser and I talked about that winter, they could not work their way off the bubble. No. I mean, it, it was literally a tournament spot on a silver platter, and all they had to do was beat Rutgers at the end of the day. That was it. I really do feel like that's when it comes down to the mentality, because I think a lot of good teams can ride off a of talent. They can ride off a of home court advantage and beat the teams they're supposed to beat. But then you have the teams like the Michigan States and um, I mean Wisconsin for a while in the Big Ten. Well, and even now, yeah, playing great now, basketball. Just beat Ohio State on the road. Uh, they get it done night in and night out. They know each game is, is is important. Come March, you know, I don't think Izzo has to tell his guys like, okay, guys, I know we won last game, and I know. You hit this three and you dunk the ball, but this game is still important. Like, you know, it's just it's just a mental thing. It's the mental part of it. It is swagger, which is something that Trent Frazier oh, tweeted out yesterday, which I want to get into because uh, Trevor, if he were here, he'd expand on it a little bit. But he had we were texting last night and he had seen that. Uh, I think it was a tweet. It was a tweet and Instagram post, maybe. But regardless, Trent said, I think I got my swagger back. I'm paraphrasing, which is great. I hope he does. 
the one concern, though, with the recent track record, not of Trent specifically, because I feel like he has not necessarily been put in the best position to succeed. Given his strengths, it feels like he's kind of been, uh, I don't know, constrained. Io's the lead guard. Trent's just trying to, you know, sit on the perimeter and not really be the attacking Trent that we saw his freshman year. So if he's got a swagger back, that's great. But this is one game we're talking about. And coming off of, I mean, the Michigan State game, well, he started off like 0 for 7, finished 2 for 9 from 3 or something like that. So the swagger, it's just, it does, it really feels like the guy, these guys are just living in the moment. Like, and where do you, and the problem is where you go next. But I mean, you go to, think, Wis- you go to Wisconsin yes, and, and you, we'll see how far swagger takes you at the Kohl Center. And I hope, I hope far enough to get a win that would really kind of jumpstart this team's tournament chances because right now they're still, uh, according to FS Sports, or Fox Sports, excuse me, they are the first four out, Purdue yes. being the next four out. And that's what last night was with those two teams is, you know, they are both they were both 9-5 and five coming in, middle of the pack Big Ten. One of them is probably going to make the tournament, one of them probably won't. So that was a good positive sign to see from Illinois beating them by 26. But then to follow it up is is really the key with this team because after the Michigan game, we felt just as good. Yeah, and exact, it's... That's what's crazy about basketball. Like we were talking about at the beginning, like one game can make you forget like about everything. And it is crazy as frustrating. We'll get back to the social media thing in a second because I really want to bring something up. But so in football, it takes longer to forget about something and it takes a lot more to change your perspective on a team. You get a whole week to stew on it. In basketball, we could get killed by Michigan State, beat Purdue. And I mean, we're just victims of the moment, no matter what we say. And it's... So I just feel like these guys, back to the social media thing. And are we talking specifically when you say these guys, this particular Sorry, Illinois yeah, basketball this per, team? This particular Illinois team, okay. my apologies. No, no. Going back, I want to kind of give them the benefit of the doubt in the sense that I'm a college kid right now. I can kind of sympathize in the sense that they are 18 to 22 year olds, right? And they want to check social media. They want to be involved with this. They want to ride off of this high. And I know when Trent or somebody throws a tweet out there and he's getting tons of likes, tons of, you're the man, Trent, ILL, like, we love you, all this stuff. Like, that's got to be hard to not want to continue to do. You know what I'm saying? This, the, the, all that pleasure and There's actually the an endorphin. Scientifically, it shows that every like you get on Facebook, on Twitter, every retweet that you get, it, there is an endorphin that gets released you you feel good because you're getting attention you're getting credit where credit in this case is due yes and i just think i mean we've seen that with a couple of the football guys too side note we'll but, get to that we'll and it's that. just like these guys they want to just take it all in and they've seen it happen where they can get all this praise and all this glory i mean i'm sure if i had a really good radio show and i want to just tweet out there like ah, great show today. We'll get them tomorrow too. Like, <laughs> I, and, and people people gave me all this praise. I would want to say the yeah, same man, thing tomorrow. Yeah, I would want to say the same thing tomorrow. So, I mean, it's different. And I, I do feel like they kind of give up some of that freedom when they play for, when they represent the university. But at the same time, I feel for them. They're navigating a minefield. I think they're doing it better than some of their coaches. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> First off, with the Illini basketball coaches, I've not seen anything on Twitter that no. makes me go, "Oh man, I haven't seen it once under Brad Underwood's staff." And really, I can't remember any John Gross's staff having any bugaboos mm-hmm. on social media. Let's stick with the social media thing before we'll get back to Illinois basketball. But a quick kind of diversion here. Now, first off, we need to talk about you are banned from Twitter currently. Is yes. that correct? So, Twitter, if you're listening, I love you and I hate you. I go on Twitter all the time, and I, two days ago, went 
and I clicked on my account, right? So I'm on my profile. I see that my birthday is incorrect. And I'm like, oh, well, when I was 12, I made a fake birthday so I would be 13 so I can make a Twitter. What, so you would have gotten on Twitter as a 12-year-old in what, 2009? E, uh, 2010. So um, in the in the early yes. days of Twitter, you were like, yes. I want an account. You just put a fake date. Funny story. I The only reason I made a Twitter that early was... So we all had a celebrity girl crush, correct? Okay, so this is 2010? Yes. So Hint. Uh, Disney Channel. I'm 12. So Vanessa Hudgens? Close. Selena Gomez. Selena Gomez. Okay. So I was like, Selena Gomez was my girl, you know? So I was on Facebook, like, but you can only interact with her so much on Facebook. So mm -hmm. she would like do a live stream and I would watch it. This is just embarrassing, like admitting, no, but I would, I would watch, these, Whatever. watch these live streams and then... <laughs> <laughs> don't take that the wrong way like of course, of course. everything was appropriate for selena gomez disney channel era yes. live streams okay. okay so selena gomez is like really advertising for twitter and like that was when it still wasn't very big so mm -hmm. 2010 none of my friends had twitter at 2000 or when i was 12 but i made an account to follow selena gomez under your stuff. name and everything so the current twitter uh, yes, handle and all yes. that is the same so i am a bros which is my twitter handle now except for now it's locked um, that's the only reason it got made. And then I didn't use it for a few more years. Wow. Okay. All right. So just because I was dumb. The things and, we do for love. Yes. Yeah. And she never tweeted back at me once, I don't think. So it really wasn't that worth it. Say all that to say, here I am two days ago, Saturday. Um, I saw my birthday was wrong. I was like, well, I'm 21 now. I'm older than 13. It doesn't matter if I correct my birthday. Right. It could have been a typo. Yes. That's what the, I would have assumed what, if I were Twitter, okay, you know, and uppers, whatever. Yes. I wanted to lie and say that, oh, I was 12, I made a mistake. Um, but my parents were like, no, you should tell Twitter the truth. They're going to give you your Twitter back to you. So I've been kind of communicating back and forth with them. But basically, I submit my real birthday and it says, are you sure this is your birthday? And I'm like, yeah, obviously it's my birthday. I submit it. It completely locks me out of everything. Wow. And it just says, Twitter has... Twitter's basically on to you, and they think when you made your account, you were not 13. You were not a legal age. And I've been like trying to communicate with them. Their customer service really is not the best. They don't yeah, have that's a, what they I've don't heard. have a helpline. They don't like they don't have a straight up email. So you have no email. ETA for when you're gonna get back. No, on there. basically, like I filed an appeal. I <laughs> that sounds so I sounds so uh, litigious. And it, it's it sounds dumb because it's a Twitter, but like this is. They could take any of my other social media, probably. It's like this is the only one I use for like Illinois stuff, like well, just news, somewhat work, yeah. And like, um, so Twitter gets back to me. I sent them a picture of my driver's license, and don't worry, I made sure it was like the real Twitter email. And you stuff. have to send them a picture of your driver's. I had license. to prove it was me. And then did you have to admit that back in the day you created an yes. account under false pretenses? Okay, so they got back to me and basically said, "This proves that you weren't 13 when you made your account, so we're gonna hmm. keep it locked." And possibly remove it, and you I know lose all your followers and everything. Literally said this. I know this is frustrating, and then it told me all that. So like, yeah, I'm I'm pretty frustrated. Um, and then they basically just have no way. Uh, I can't communicate with them anymore. So I just replied to that email, and now I'm just hoping in another two days or so they get back to me, <laughs> and then I can just be like, offer Selena Gomez. Please, yeah, please don't punish me for being 12 and really. Being obsessed with Selena See, Gomez. back in the day with Disney Channel, it was High School Musical came out, and I was yeah. Selena Gomez was after that. She, yeah, but Vanessa Hudgens, I thought she was big time, yeah. and it was tricky because she was like nineteen, and I'm post college ish <laughs> about that point. 
but and it was High School Musical. Yeah. So it felt somewhat uncomfortable. That I was like, God, that girl's well. Disney kind of Disney tried to shoo her to the side. I'm pretty sure because she kind of got in trouble. Her she and, like, got. Zac she was Efron, the bad girl. Yeah. Um. Some extracurriculars. Extracurriculars. Extra after school High School Musical activities. Um, but yeah, so Twitter is really pissing me off right now, but you'll get back on there soon enough. But here's the thing is that you have been kind of Isaac, the instigator on there on Twitter. Yeah. That's... Hey, we need to set a little bit of a, uh, some context for the people listening at home. So Isaac, of course, he was with Tay and Carp back in the summer and we talked about this over the summer when this all came out. There was a video that you took from a key and peel skit. Correct. Okay. And then this key and peel skit, uh, is a key or peel plays Obama. I always uh, mix those two guys up. I, I think it's. Peel. Jordan Peele, who's Jordan the director. Peele, yes, okay, yeah. Yes. So Jordan Peele is Obama walking yes. around shaking hands with dignitaries. And what you did was put these subtitles in front of each dignitary, yes. but instead of that dignitary's name, you put an Illini sports figure. Correct. Coach or former player, yes. something like that. Mm-hmm. And it matched up very well with how yeah. kind of the public viewed right. these different characters. I think yes. one was Beckman, for example. Yep. PJ Fleck, Beckman, uh, Sean May were some of the ones that. Obama didn't hug or didn't all based on yes all based on how Obama interacted with these people so you put this out there it's a big viral hit over the summer of 2019 and there was a this this gets you to the forefront I always mix this part up a day later correct me if I'm wrong a day later you had just tweeted out what I thought was an innocuous comment saying that okay how long into the Illini football season will it take before we turn the page and, and start looking forward to Illini basketball, basketball season. season. And which kind of, every year is a thing for Illini. And it kind of is backfired now because football season was so exciting, even though it didn't end like we wanted to. And now basketball season is still like, okay, why are we figuring out what good? we got? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it kind of. Though, to your bad. point, though, but when a two and four start, we were looking forward to basketball right. season. And that was even before the season. Yeah. I tweeted that, what, in like July or this something? This would have like been that. July. And you got a response from whom? Mr. Rod Smith. Yes. Now, he is not, of course, a stranger to interacting with fans. No, he loves tweeting. He does. And there was, of course, after the Wisconsin game, a statement not directed to any particular fan, but said, hey, you know, if you weren't with us, then go root for the team up north. And and this is what I always find bizarre after victories is when, whether it be Rod Smith or Dave Wyshynowski after the Michigan State game, reveling in the victory to the point where they are now disparaging people that ever doubted them. I just don't get how you could realistically look at the season look at the past 10 years look at last year and what happened against iowa and stuff like that and say this team is going to a bowl game or, or this, say any sort of any I told positive you so, yes right and, and then as a coach too, rod smith who i have not seen any silly tweets from him recently? he he still he tweets yeah. a lot but it's less he hasn't tweeted any like instigating type thing i feel like until after the wisconsin game um, Which but, again, it's not as if that tweet is something we talked about on the show, and some people were like, "Oh, come on, it's just a yeah. tweet." And it, it, that's fine, that's fine. Uh, but the thing for me is that when you are the second, third, let me say, highest paid employee at the University of Illinois, which I, I'm pretty sure he is, one of the highest paid employees in the state. Yeah. So you got Webby, you got Brad Underwood, one and two, and yes. then I'm pretty sure Rod's got to be the highest thousand. paid assistant. I yeah, because yeah. the basketball assistants are tend to be two fifty, yeah. three hundred. I think that's when the, he got the, the ballpark. huge raise after last year yeah. and everything. So what I would like to think that these guys in these positions would be able to handle the responsibilities that come with social media yes. a little bit more in a mature fashion. Because here's the thing. I know that there are things that I tweet that may be interpreted one way or interpreted the other, but I will promise anyone listening this, that anything I tweet out now, and it took me some time to learn this, but anything I tweet out now, I do think two or three times if I'm unsure 
of how it may be, how the tone may be yes. read, if that makes sense. So let me rephrase. I wouldn't tweet out, I wouldn't keep myself from tweeting out something just because I'd be afraid that some people might not like it. It's not about that, but it's choosing my words carefully to make sure that my intent and Basically, tone, how it's going to backfire, and is it even worth saying if it's kind of going to blow up? Is it worth saying? So uh, a recent example would have been last week we talked about an article that Bob Osmussen had yes. tweeted out, and I normally will not call out other local media people because yeah. they're just trying to do their job. But I thought this was a particularly egregious example of someone that works for the flagship um, News Gazette 1400 saying, well, you know, Big Ten West champions, it could happen after the last three games I'm watching this team and really taking the whole thing in totality and saying, this ain't Minnesota. Okay, this is not, these are two very different examples. It could happen, I guess. Yes. But the way that it was written, anyone that read that article probably had that weird sort of, uh, what do they call it, skunk eye. Okay, again, but how can uh -huh. you, what? I know like the season was amazing, but how can you, again, realistically look at this team and you can't. like the defense and everything and say, we can compete with Iowa, Wisconsin, like on a consistent basis. Like This was on the heels of an article that he wrote, basically taking the perspective of a bowling ball. That makes sense. This is what we have the flagship newspaper. And what what is a weird dichotomy for me is on one hand, as a journalism uh, graduate from the University of Illinois that grew up in this town, I always want there to be a newspaper in town. If there's yeah. not, then, you know, I know it's only, you know, local government or things like that, but you still want people to be held accountable. But what's not being done from the News Gazette's perspective, and Bob's just one writer over there, but from other people as well, is they are not holding this athletic department accountable because they are in business with them. I get it. They're the flagship. They need to be careful what they say because they need to work with them. They need to work together. Uh, but you are not going to get honest commentary from the News Gazette or 1400. They don't need to be overly cynical. Right. We try to not be overly cynical here, but I saw that and I thought, this is BS. I mean, they're not doing anyone a favor, like filling... I yeah I get what you're saying they like are basically owing the university like fair articles but they also owe the people of Champaign you know like fair honest articles and what's really weird about 1400 and DWS is that over the years I remember going up and my grandma you know she was <laughs> 70 when she told me this but she would tell my dad and I like yeah I just love listening to that DWS and my dad and I looked at each other like okay fine you know why because by this point we had kind of graduated to I don't know 670 the score in Chicago Boers and Bernstein which I know talk about apples and oranges comparison but um, 1400 DWS that combined news gazette sort of conglomerate there has always been geared towards older people. So I think there is an audience for it, and they probably are not listening to the 200 level. They probably aren't listening to 93.5. But that's why I thought it was so valuable to get different voices in the local community. And just in the last decade alone, the variety of those voices, it's night and day from where it was in 2010. They're slim pickings in terms of actual commentary with Illinois sports. So it is kind of nice to see that continue to emerge and grow and get different people involved with it. Yeah, and I think it is definitely good to have... It's, it's good to have people like us and like you giving your opinions on things, and then it's good to have people just relaying information and just talking about, you know, the university and the sports as itself. So it's a good mix, and it's good that there's multiple choices, and we don't just have to listen. And to circle thing. back around to the Rod Smith example. Okay, yes. What does surprise me is that for someone in a position like that, so let's say that you gave me $500,000 to host a radio, I know this is ridiculous, but in a larger market host a radio show, I'm going to understand that in that position, 
uh, with a lot of money and power comes a lot of potential blowback. Okay, so you might be getting the occasional tweet or you might be getting the occasional text on the text line from someone that doesn't like what you do. Well, that kind of comes to the territory. For someone that is still, though, like someone, uh, Rod Smith or any of these coaches over there, they're rather insulated. So let me put it this way. When he talks at the podium or when he's giving interviews on Mondays after football games, he's not exactly getting grilled by the local media. And not that they need to be doing that. They're just trying to file their stories and do their job. But I always find it peculiar when coaches get on the defensive, when literally in their contracts, part of their job is dealing with the media. And if this were Philly or Chicago or New York, I get that there might be a bit of fatigue dealing with the media. Correct. It's a Champaign-Urbana. That's it's what, pretty easy. People that, when I see people on Twitter kind of saying like, oh, Illinois fans are the worst, you know, they react to everything. Like, <laughs> if you ever read like a like an Alabama Twitter response, oh, like, I can't imagine. They lose, they lose one game to LSU, or I think they lost two games. They lost to Auburn. Still, they only lose to two high-quality opponents after winning all these national championships. And team and fans are acting like the world's, you know, the world's gonna end. Tua's the worst. Like, it's just, it's just crazy. The it's way I crazy. view it is, I've heard people say Illini fans suck. I've also heard people say Illini fans are great. I think every fan base kind of sucks. Yeah, and every fan base is equally just as much as they might suck. They're equally great because they care enough to get invested in something that is, yeah, maybe it's a little bit silly to get invested in, but we do. Okay, I mean, I'm sitting in a basement, whether it be with you or by myself or with Trevor or all three of us together, talking a lot of sports, and it's just something that I'm compelled to do. We care about it. So this idea, though, that Illini fans are overly reactionary or something like that, I don't buy that because, for one, last night being a great example of that against Purdue, by all accounts, a tremendous crowd on a Sunday night, 7 o'clock tip, for me, I get to Sunday evenings, I'm ready to decompress, flip the page to Monday, I'm, I'm chilling out. I, it's hard, it would be hard for me, unless it's the biggest game of the century, to get up for a 7 o'clock Sunday night game. 15,000 plus people did yeah, I for would, that game last night. I was there, and I specifically remember getting there, and the game was about to start, and I look at my mom, and I'm like, don't these people have to work tomorrow? Like, <laughs> and, it's, it's and the end of break, you know? 72, what, 72, 96 hours after the Michigan State After game. they see us, and... And honestly, I would have to ask somebody who's kind of comparable to us, like go to some random uh, Power 5 school. Mackie, for example. Mackie, Mackie Arena's a great right. environment. I would have to go and ask and be like, okay, if your team lost this many games for this many years and was this inconsistent, would there be 15 plus thousand people on a Sunday night? Right. And I have to say, they're Illinois fans coming out like that, that has to say something just about the pride of Champaign in general. It does. I think it says a lot about it. And I'm watching that game last night as the lead keeps growing and growing and thinking, what the hell is this? And I'm thinking for all these people, it's at least, you know, immediate payoff for deciding to go to a game on a Sunday night for a team that had not given you a lot of reason to believe, which leads me even more to this idea that, and this includes football, if you give the fans something, they will show up. The unfortunate thing about the football season this year was that the Wisconsin game didn't happen earlier. You only had Rutgers and Northwestern after that. No offense to Rutgers, but I don't care how good your team is. That's going to be a sparsely attended game compared to others. And let's say that instead of Rutgers on that Saturday, two weeks later, you played, let's just say Michigan State. Michigan State, yeah. Right. They travel. 50,000 plus probably. Right. Not the 35,000 or whatever it was. So I really do think for this fan base basketball, it's not going to take much at all. Mm -mm. It's just going to take making the tournament. And then next year, you'll see season ticket sales go up and people will be back on board thinking that Brad Underwood might get this thing rolling. For football, I don't think it'd take that much either. 
I really don't because the Ron Zook era, which I lived through, all it took was just having Ron Zook on the sideline and recruiting well to get people excited. I mean, remember, Lovey's first game was not that long ago. I mean, 2016 was sold out. North Carolina. The first game was Murray State, I think. Or, yeah, the North Carolina game, Mitch Trubisky and the boys. I think it was a Friday night, too. It, it was a Saturday night against North night. Carolina. Okay, the Saturday Friday night. night games we played have been... Penn State. Uh, and Nebraska once, right? Yes. Penn State, Nebraska, two and, Friday night Big Ten games. Well, we... we Yes. Yeah. There was a Friday night back in the Bill Cubit year that got rained out. Okay. Kent State, and they just opened up the stadium the next day. And said, hey, "If you want to come, come." It was a thunderstorm that rolled in right about seven o'clock. We had done a game day on Green Street with Tanjay, and we're all pumped. We get to the tailgate lots. It was surprisingly full. Beckman had just been fired four days before, and there was this buzz in the air. It was kind of weird. And then this thunderstorm line just rolls through two hours, just torrential downpour. Um, but no, I really do think though with Illini basketball, it's so ingrained in people. They showed up last night. My God, if this team goes on a bit of a run here, the Maryland Michigan state two game stretch Mm -hmm. Friday, February 7th, 7th, and then Monday the 8th, right? No, Monday, Monday the 10th. I'm sorry. Friday the 7th and Monday the 10th. So it's two games and four days at the state farm center against what I'm going to presume to be two top 15 teams at that point. Yeah. You have Friday, February the 7th against Maryland, and then Tuesday, February 11th okay. against Michigan State. Right there. If this team is above 500 in the Big Ten, showing up in bracketology, stuff like that, then that those two games will be sellouts, and they will feel like old-school Illini basketball games, which even the Purdue game apparently kind of felt like one. The big... I'm looking at this now. The first half of February is going to... I think a lot of this team so far has been like, who the heck are they? Yep. This, this few-game stretch will show... Sunday, February 2nd, we play at Iowa. Okay. Number 23 right now. Then we get into the Maryland game, February 7th, February 11th, Michigan State. Both those are at home. And then we play at Rutgers, who is a a, a team now. I'm already cons- I'm already thinking this game Saturday against Rutgers at yeah, home. Yeah, this coming up at home. And so the four-game stretch again in February? Okay, so it's actually five now because you play at Iowa, home Maryland, home Michigan State, at Rutgers, and then... At Penn State. Here's what you need to do. So that's, yeah. If you go four and one, you're in the tournament, period. Oh, yeah. If you go three and two with those two home wins against Michigan State and Maryland, I think you're in the tournament. And that means you only need to get one of those three road wins. But more importantly, after that five game stretch, do you still have the schedule open? Yeah. It loosens up. Yeah. After that game at Rutgers, then you have a nice little run there. You play Nebraska at home, at home, Northwestern on the road, and Indiana at home. But then you play at Ohio State and Iowa again. But, but Iowa right, home. it opens up. Yeah, Iowa's at home. And Ohio State's going to be an interesting team to watch too because they get that number one spot. Mm-hmm. And now they're coming back down to earth. I think what the Big Ten has, or probably, and I think the latest poll even shows this, essentially five or six teams in the top 20. But no top five, easy, for sure, one seeds, right? I see a collection of three and four seed NCAA tournament teams for Illinois, you really just need to find your way to a few of those quality wins and not lose to the likes of a Rutgers at home. You can't yeah. afford that. You can't afford to lose to Nebraska for sure. And they've already gotten an upset against... God, who do they upset in December? Who, Nebraska? Nebraska beat Purdue. Purdue. It was by like 15 or something like that. Right. But I think the thing with Purdue, and this is... I don't want to... I don't want to take a cynical approach to last night's game because I, I don't feel that way. I feel like this is a sign that this team could put things together. Yes. Well, the thing, I just kind of added up. One thing that scares me, besides Miami, take out Miami, this team has played really well at home, correct? Correct. There's and eight, that was one bad half. Yes. There's eight more home games 
and that only gets us to 18 wins. Correct, and that's if you hold serve at home. That's, and on a, so that'll balance out. You'll lose a couple at home, and you'll win probably a couple on the road. Let's Maybe. say let's anticipate this. Okay, I think that they will lose a game at home. I think for the most part they'll be successful at home because the Big Ten is just shaping up that way. So optimistically speaking, they lose a game at home. That gets them to 17 wins, and you add another loss on the schedule. That would get them to 17 and six before you factor in the road games. Yes. Which all you would have to do then is essentially go nine, not nine, sorry. Um, Let's see, 17. So you need to go three out of your remaining eight road games. Yes. You have eight remaining, I believe. Yeah, you do. Wow. So the three on the road that you would hope to get. I I mean, you play, what, Nebraska? Do you play them on the road? You play... At Iowa. No, sorry, you play at Northwestern. That that needs to be. It's games like that that yes. really will decide. Just like John Gross teams, and I don't think John Gross ever missed a tournament because of losing to Northwestern, but that could be something that could really throw a wrench into it. Especially after last year's loss to Northwestern, was that the same day that the Bears lost to the Eagles? It was at Well Shrine, so. right? Yes, that, that game did. was at two o'clock. It was a weird o'clock. afternoon. It Sunday, was an yeah. awful mm-hmm. sports day. I was thinking that yesterday because I was watching some basketball. Michigan, Michigan State. Eagles and uh, Seahawks. Seahawks were playing, and I remember just a year ago, watching settling down for that Eagles Bears game. So optimistic, I thought, "Come on, we got this." Right. Uh, okay, so I digress. Three wins of your remaining eight road games. The most likely candidates being at Iowa, maybe at Northwestern, at, and at Indiana, maybe. Do you play at Indiana? or You just Apologies, get them at home. You just play them at home, which I, is I think is a good break because I don't like playing at Indiana. Honestly, at Penn State. But this the is ra- where, and the rack's not easy to play at anymore no, either. At Rutgers. But here's this is why the Missouri and the Miami games, you can nullify them if you go on a run right now. Exactly. You can nullify them and it starts at Wisconsin. Isn't it crazy how if you take away the you take away the Mizzou and the Miami games, so yeah. we're twelve and three, right? And mm-hmm. then but you say, Okay, we're two and two in the Big Ten. Our only losses are on the road at Maryland and on the road at Michigan State. And you're twelve and three. That sounds pretty nice. That's just like saying how close we are to feeling exactly. super satisfied. This is why it's a John Gross year. You know, this is why back in the day he would win the home games against Michigan. He'd win the home games against Ohio State. Not usually a problem. Now, granted, he'd lose every home game to Penn State. It felt like, right? But you would win enough games in January and early February to be in the bubble. You go on that little mini run mid mid February, and then you do something really stupid late. So I don't want to get in that position where all of a sudden you are facing just a simple must win. I say simple. Take that word out of it. A must win on the road against Iowa. Yeah. Or a must win on the road. Even worse. Because Iowa Iowa on the road comes earlier in February. You play Iowa at home to end the year. And I don't want to lose that game for sure. But you definitely don't want to go into that game at Ohio State on what? March the 1st or it's late February. Mm Second to last game. April, or March 5th, you play at Ohio State. You don't want to go into that as a must win. No. And this is where this stretch beginning now. I wish I could look at the Wisconsin game and say that simply by showing up and playing well, I'm going to be happy. Yeah. But you have sort of exhausted whatever's left in the tank for moral victories. It, it just comes down now to winning a lot of games in a short amount of time so that you enter February not in the bubble, but enter those Maryland and Michigan State games talking about seeding. They can do that. I mean, there's a path, which begins Wednesday. And you know what's kind of... This could either be good or bad. They play Nebraska, Northwestern, and Indiana before they play at Ohio State and Iowa at home. So you're either going to 
get some traction, get your confidence back, or you're either going to think, oh, we beat Nebraska, Northwestern, Indiana. We're good. I know this is a futile exercise, but you got the schedule open. I'm going to yeah. open up mine as well. We're going to play a little bit of dare to, not dare to dream because dare that, to dream. I want to be realistic about it. So you're 10 and five right now. We're just going to go down the list and try to add up, find our path to 20. Okay. 20 wins gets you in because that would mean 10 more big 10, 10 wins, wins and that would get you to 12 on the conference schedule. 12 and eight will get you in 11 and nine depends on the quality wins yeah. and not losing bad games. Right? So here we go at Wisconsin. I'm with Lante on this. It ain't happening. No. What's the point of even watching? Yeah. We started the Mandalorian, so I almost just kind of want to keep going with that. Yeah. And yeah. just not even bother with that game, but no, I, exactly. I'll watch it. Rutgers at home, must win. Must win. Northwestern at home, must win, which would get you to four and three. Four and three in the Big Ten. Okay. At Purdue. Loss, I'm going to say. This is where... This is tough, though. I, I understand it's at Mackey. Yeah. You, need, you have to be feeling confident entering that game. After what you just did to them, so can a team truly be twenty six points better by virtue of just changing but, the venue? Yeah, I mean the thing is though, we're all thinking okay, Illinois can beat Michigan, but they can also lose to Miami. Right. All these other Big Ten fan bases are thinking the same exact thing. Most like, of them are. Purdue, Purdue smoked Virginia at home, mm -hmm. and then they play like that against us. Why so, do I get the weird feeling that this year the weirdness of it will result in a win at Mackey? I mean, I would be okay with it. And then a loss at, at Michigan. Or at well, Michigan. if you lose at Northwestern, that would kill you. I, yeah. I would rather take the win at Northwestern and the loss at Purdue because I, I think that ultimately you'll get the quality wins at home. I agree. It will just be about minimizing any more damaging and losses. losing at Mackey is not a bad loss, I don't it's think. It's not. And then you got at Michigan. So we're 4-3 okay. and three entering the two-game road stretch at Purdue and at Michigan. Do you get any one of those? Realistically. Realistic, like right now, if I had to put $100 on, I'm saying we lose both. Okay, so let's say four and five. Okay. Entering the last game of January at home against Minnesota, you get to five and five in five conference. And five and And you enter a very consequential February of five and five on the road at Iowa. I never like my chances there. No, but Iowa... What are they doing right they, now? They're at? slipping. I mean, not, not as much as some teams, but they just lost to Penn State. Okay. This blew a game at Penn State, and... Somebody's hurt. I know McCaffrey's son is playing a ton, and people aren't. And Bohannon's out, right? Bohannon is out for the rest of the year. I think you maybe sneak out a win there. Let's do that for fun. I'd be okay with that. Okay. Six and five. Six and five. Six and five. Entering the two-game home stretch against Maryland and Michigan State. If you can enter that six and five with an opportunity to go eight and five at home after beating Maryland and Michigan State, and I think you can beat both those. I mean, teams you play in the past few years. You play Maryland and Michigan State great at home. But let's throw a wrench into this. Okay. Let's say you go one and one. One and one. So instead of eight and five, you're seven and six. Seven, okay. At Rutgers, <sighs> and then at Penn State, this is you need to split and go eight and seven. I don't know where the win comes from. Probably at Rutgers, but I don't feel great about it. So let's just say eight and seven. Eight and seven. We're still kind of. I feel being a little optimistic. Yeah, here. I agree. I okay. mean, and, and so far in the season, we have no reason to think you know they're going to consistent. They're going to beat the teams we think they should be. Right. Exactly. So. All right. Eight and seven. Come home against Nebraska. That's got to be nine and seven win. Yeah, at Northwestern, ten and, 10 seven. and seven. Indiana at home, eleven and seven. Yep. At Ohio State, eleven and eight. Let's just move yeah. on for that. Iowa at home, twelve and eight. What we just did was a fairly realistic path yeah. that can get them to twelve and eight. And that doesn't sound. I mean, that includes a home and, loss. And we didn't give them any crazy games or take away any. Yeah. So this team, it sounds bad, but they still have a little bit of leeway. And like, which is so weird. Which this is, is weird. This is so much like 2016. It's they could not get off the bubble. Right now, they are a bubble team. 
They get another quality win. They're probably in. They get a bad loss on the road too. And I don't know. Let's see. What would be the worst other than Northwestern? I, other than you, Northwestern, I think losing. I just could see us going to Rutgers or going to Penn State. And losing both, getting but losing by a lot. I well, think how you how you lose the losses too is like what's going to really say. But I want to ask you right now, based on what you've seen, based on the talent. Does this should this should this is this team talented enough? Should they be in the tournament? They should be in the tournament. They should be in the tournament, and that's why the Miami Missouri games suck. Yeah, because if you won if you won those, you were not first four out on the bracketology from Fox Sports today. You're in. And the thing is, I somebody went at me on Twitter for this, but I Missouri and Miami talent wise, I don't think they're tournament teams. So they that's are why, not. Neither of those teams no, are like that's make why a it looks. That's why they look bad. It's not like losing against Winthrop, John Gross's last year. And keep right. that in mind, they lost to Winthrop and they found their way back on the bubble yeah. and in the tournament before they lost to Rutgers. I'm looking at the schedule and I'm thinking realistically, I think they're going to go 10 and 10. I don't have enough faith that they have consistency to win 12 games in conference. They, but I, I say all that. And I know that the ceiling is higher than the years past, that a ceiling can get them to a 12 and 8. And we just included a home loss yeah. as part of that. And they found their way to 12 and 8. Well, last time we made the tournament with Gross, I want to say, we did we go 8 and 12 in they, the Big Ten? They were 2 and 7 to start. Yes. Indiana came to town, 3 and 7. Three and went seven. on the road and beat Minnesota, 4 and 7. They went on a stretch to get themselves to 7 and 7. I think 7 and 7. And then they won one of their last four, yes. 8 and 10. Eight and ten. They beat Minnesota the opening game of the Big Ten tournament. Oh, because that was before we played more Big Ten games. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So eighteen, eight, 10, eighteen eight, game stretch, eight and ten in conference. Beat Minnesota in the Big Ten tournament. The buzzer, yeah. Though they didn't need to because no. they still got a seven seed because of Gonzaga Maui Invitational. Right. They had a great early stretch. That was. I mean, that just proves these early games, man. They matter. They matter, and it's just going to be so sad. If we get to that point in March and we're like, man, remember that Miami game? Remember when that dude that I can't even say his last name, it was hitting everything and, <laughs> and likes was hitting everything. What, Larkin? Barry Larkin's kid? Uh, no, Are you talking about the Miami game The Miami game this year. This the year. Miami game this year. Oh, my year. gosh. What was that? Kid? It was, Sykes, right? No, yeah, but the they had a dude from... Yes, the Australian kid. Yes. I, I think he was Australian. A white no guy that could shoot. He was making everything. Yes, I had no idea what his name was. But I just don't want that dude to haunt me when it's Selection Sunday. And, and what's exciting but also terrifying is that they, they still, this early in the season, you know, destiny, whatever word you want to throw with it, they have control of it, okay? Yeah. It, it comes down to me that Wisconsin game, if you win that, then you can flip the script right now. Right now in early January, flip the script to we are a tournament team. If Trent Frazier's tweet is felt by the rest of the guys in that locker room, I hope it is channel, channeled in a way that is not anything sort of like, well, we've arrived. I don't want them to think that after the Purdue game at home, they've arrived. Purdue sucks away from Mackey. Yeah. Now, normally would they suck by 26 points less than Illinois? No, that was a phenomenal performance by any measure. But it is a mentality game that you were talking about earlier where if they get in their own way, that's my biggest fear is not the other teams that Illinois plays. I think on any given night, and I haven't been able to say that about the last five or six Illinois teams, any given night, they can beat any team in this Big Ten. Yes. Unfortunately, there's enough parity that any given night, you could go to Welsh Ryan, of all places, and lose to freaking Northwestern. The only two players right now that I think will play solid night in and night out, people can say what you want about Io. He's, he's the, fine. He's the best player on the team. Yeah, okay? he's fine. And he's going to go out and get his. Even last night, he still contributed, even though he didn't put up 25 points. Sure. And 
I mean, Alan Griffin's been the best player on the team the past few games. This Just is the story, mentally, right? Mentally, too. Mentally, if, he's been there. If the emergence of Alan Griffin stays, right? If that is a consistent thing where now all of a sudden you're banking on him to be an impact player. You add a wing to the mix of Kofi, which what I loved about Kofi last night against Harns, of all people. Yeah. He was able to bounce back after his first, let's call it, bad performance of the year. Yeah. He was shook up in Michigan State, and a lot of freshmen would be. What does he do? He responds. He looks like Kofi Bold against a guy who's seven foot three. No big deal. You look at the guard play. Trent Frazier is the other factor here. If where Alan Griffin and Trent Frazier go, I think, is where this team goes. If those guys play like they did last night the rest of the year, you're twelve and eight. With Illinois teams in recent history, though, all the way back to the Dimitri McCamey, Mike Tisdale, Mike Davis trio, you could get one, maybe two of those guys on any given night, but the third was going to be off. I mean, it sounds cliche, but basketball is a team sport. And the games we've played the best this year, it's everybody's doing their part. And Kipper. Kipper, yeah. Kipper, yeah. I mean, has a role. Had, what he had like five points, but he, he added a little spark. And I think if you look back, besides Michigan State last year, besides the win against Michigan State at home, when Io is the only one playing well and he's dropping 25. We lose. There there was a stat, and I'd have to look it up, but his 25-plus point games last year, the record was not good for Illinois. No, no fault of his own because there's... It's not old, his fault, yeah. No, there's an old adage with basketball. Someone's got to score. Right. And for him last year, he was often thrust into that role. But it's true that when we've seen the best of this team, the Michigan game being another example back in December, um, what I do like is that the, if there is an identity that they can assume that will lead them to success, it's all controllable, namely defense. You can always control that. The reason the Michigan State game went to crap was because the defense went to crap with the shooting yeah. about the 15-minute mark in the second half, a 10-minute stretch there where Michigan State took it from like a 7-8 point game to 20. Right. The defense faltered. If the defense doesn't, you will stay in all these games, even Michigan State where you were 6-7 points down despite not hitting any threes. We can One thing we can say about this team, they, though they seem to get in their own heads, they think they have swag, they're you know, all over Twitter, all over social media. They do, for the most part, play till the buzzer goes off at the end. The ex That's why the Michigan State that's game was, was troubling, weird. right? Yes, exactly. But I even, felt that was the most gross-like thing yes. where they, they truly just said, nah, it ain't the cards tonight. And, I mean, I'm just going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that was a freak thing. When are you going to shoot 10%? I mean, before the end of the game, you're shooting one for 20 from three. Which is an aberration even for this poor shooting team. Yes. But I couple that with the Missouri game. So those are your two weeks right there leading right. up to this Purdue game where I said in last night, I'm like, they're probably going to win. Yeah. They're at home. Purdue's not all that great away from Mackey. None of us could have anticipated that. So as we go forward this week, we got Wisconsin on Wednesday. You're feeling what? I am feeling scared. I, I think this team, I think we're definitely more talented than Wisconsin. Even though Wisconsin went out and beat Ohio State. I mean, there's not many teams in the Big Ten you could line up against us and say they're talented better. Right, and this is the thing with Wisconsin. There's a bunch of nameless guys that yes. year in, year out, they keep churning them in, churning them out, and it doesn't matter who's playing and for them. I just feel like this... I mean, all these games just give us so many opportunities to change the narrative of the season. Right. Wednesday gives a perfect opportunity to say we're a tournament team. Yes. Not only that, we might actually at 3-2 and two with a road win against Wisconsin make some noise and i mean wisconsin i don't anticipate that no. just the way that happened. they they just beat ohio state on the road they're feeling good go out take the you know take the power away from them put it back in our court come home beat uh rutgers on saturday but wouldn't this be so illini 
It would. To get the Wisconsin win and then to come home Saturday against Rutgers and Wayne Egg. Yeah. And I say that only based off, and I think we might have talked about the last time we were together with me, you, and Trevor, is looking back at the season last year, going on a four or five game win streak, at least four. It was four. It was, well, I think it was like, was it five out of six or something like that, yeah. with, including a road win at Ohio State? Yeah, at Ohio you had Michigan State. State game at home. Yeah, the final on I reunion at State Farm Center with Penn State in town. Yes. Now, Rutgers this year is probably every bit as good as that Penn State team last year. Certainly, you're better as well. Yeah. Don't anticipate losing to Rutgers at home by 20, Mm -hmm. but I could certainly see on a sleepy Saturday. I think it's an 11 a.m. game. Yeah, it's an 11 start. Sleepy start. You know, we kind of the same thing with that stupid Penn State game last year was an 11 o'clock central tip. That's just what frustrates me, though, is because I know Brad. He alluded to, oh, it's finals week a couple weeks ago, you know. Right, right, right. Like these good teams, like if you're a good team, you don't let that affect you. No, you, you figure like, out a way to win. I don't care win. if the game starts at 6 a.m. Like you wake up, you wake up at 4 a.m., you get ready, you go, <laughs> you go to the. We'll play the game at 6. You go to State Farm Center. So also, really side note, I looked up, is it true we haven't been to the tournament since State Farm Center became State Farm Center? That's true. It became State Farm Center in right? John Gross's fourth year. Oh, it did. Okay. No, wait, I'm sorry. That I, was when the renovated State Farm Center, but maybe it was named State Farm Center the, the second I, or third year of John Gross. Yes, when the name switched, yep. I believe. Yep. Um, so maybe State Farm Center is just cursed. Yeah, well, there's a lot of people talk about the curse of Chief Alani Weck. The one thing I always caution people with that is literally that first football season after Chief was retired, you made the Rose Bowl. Right, that's ridiculous. The one thing I want to try to do with Alani Sports is just simplify. Well, first off, I ask the question, why are we struggling? And I think the simple answer is that we've yet to find a coach on either revenue sport that has longevity, that has an identity that for for whatever reason works here in Illinois. With Brad Underwood, I am still very concerned, and Wednesday may bear this out, okay? Wednesday may bear this out, and you go up to Wisconsin, and you look just as shell-shocked as he did at Michigan State, which this team should not be doing. Right. You cannot have performances like that. Don't care who the opponent is. Uh, so I'm waiting to see that consistency develop with him. I still don't see it with Lovey, especially because recruiting is no. just at a complete deadlock. It's just plateaued. You can't even say that. They're 14th out of 14 in the Big Ten. I understand it's a small class. Inexcusable, though. So I'm worried that we're falling into that trap again of just, well, what if we made the wrong hires? Fortunately, Brad Underwood still gets two months to decide. Right. And I really do think it's a consequ- consequential two months because I look at, even after last night, he has not really ingratiated himself with the Illini fandom. He's not a warm and fuzzy guy, and frankly, he doesn't need to be. But you got to win games because right now, after the Michigan State game, uh, on Friday there was a tweet from, uh, oh, they were lifting. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah. Bicep curls and everything. Ten tens on each side or whatever. <laughs> yeah. They're basketball they were, players. Yeah, They're that's basketball true. Well, yeah, they got to keep the agility, right? Right, right. But this thing got lambasted on Twitter and the hashtag everyday guys. And of course, you know, easy to poke fun at when you're going up and losing on the road by 20. But then you see the comments and I don't know if there was a Q rating for Brad Underwood. It isn't yeah. very high right now. Well, he the thing is he does such his offense and everything is so weird that if it's not working, everyone's going to immediately attack it. And, and we were because we were sold yeah. that this was the Brad Underwood style and we've yet to really see it. And what's weird is your first in defensive efficiency. Yeah. Because he abandoned the sort of, you know, Last, uh, 40 minutes of hell, Arkansas back right. in the Nolan Richardson days. He abandoned that and said, well, we're just going to kind of pack it in, just use our rim protector. And kudos to him for doing that. It's just weird that the thing you're most successful at this year is not necessarily something that is tied in with his identity as a coach. The defense has been great. I mean, last year it was basically 
we can score a lot of points, but the other team, we're going to let them score a little bit more points. So we'd lose like 90 to 85. Yeah, and it was kind of fun. You figure, yeah. well, this is rebuild, and maybe next year if we just hold them to 78 points, we're right. going to win a lot again. And this offense, I don't know. Maybe I'm just not like Seth Greenberg or like these guys on ESPN. Jay Billis could probably break this down. When the offense isn't clicking, it looks like five guys on the playground running around in circles. There was a moment last night where Andres Feliz was driving to the corner and Trent was there between Andres and Kofi in no man's land. And they were basically running into each other. Now, that was an aberration last night. The offense was clicking based on two things. One, the defense. You were get, Basically, Purdue would go down there. They'd shoot a mid-range jumper. They'd miss it. You get on a fast break. You get an easy layup or you draw the foul. Okay, no problem. And you made a few threes. When that's happening... Even a stagnant offense can look serviceable. Right. And that's what it did last night. It was not a great offense performance, but you know what? When you're holding the other team to set 37 points, you can get away with that. And I mean, when you're not shooting 10% from three, everything seems like it's going a lot better. But I will say the offense, it just really seems like it's dependent on the players because when I, when the offense is clicking the most, Io is coming off of that screen. He's pulling up and he's really been hitting that um, you know elbow jumper recently. He's been doing that a lot more recently. And against Michigan State and even last night, Io... Instead of, so he fakes the handoff, he goes around the key, drives baseline, and goes up and scores. We need guys like that. You know, it's it just feels like for this offense to really click, we need five Ios, which we just can't have at Illinois. No. And uh, what I do like about Io is that a consistency has developed with him. He is what he is. You are not seeing the 30-point games because there's enough, enough other options. Uh, the key, like I said earlier, though, if Trent and Allen can emerge as consistent night-in-night-out guys. It won't matter what Andres Felice does. It won't matter what Kipper Nichols does. You know what you're going to get from Kofi. And frankly, if Allen and Trent are doing what they're doing, it may not matter all that much what Georgie does, no. which continues to be a storyline going forward because I'm not entirely sure. I did appreciate that Brad started to stagger them more, and I think that's only going to continue. Yes, they started the game together, but for big chunks of it, only one of them was out on the court, and it looked better. Georgie has been the there's a million question marks with this Illini team. Georgie has definitely been the biggest one because I know people can say like, oh, he's got to find his role with Kofi on the floor too. But even when Kofi's off the floor, something about Georgie's offensive game last year, nine times out of 10, I swear when Georgie would get the ball, he'd put a little spin move on somebody, take a good shot. He's and, a good post. Yeah, he's player. a good post. But even this year, it's almost just like he's trying to do too much or he feels like he needs, it's almost like he Heard somebody say, you got to become a shooter. And he stands out there at the three-point line so much. And he just feel, I just feel like Georgie doesn't know his... Last year was kind of like he can do whatever he wants. I feel like him and Trent were yeah. going through an identity crisis. I hope. I think Trent might have figured it out, at least for one night he did. Georgie's still figuring that out. But you got to ride Kofi. He's yeah. the best player on the team. I mean, you're not going to... The best college basketball... Let me rephrase. Io will probably have a more lucrative career... Uh, well, maybe. I don't know. I mean, Kofi, I know he's more of a throwback center. He'll get drafted eventually. But Kofi is the best college basketball player you have on this team. Yeah. He's the he's the matchup nightmare that I'm pretty sure is getting a lot more attention from opposing teams this year than Iowa's. I mean, he's so there's nobody else like him really in college basketball. Like, this dude takes up the whole paint by himself. And you have to... You have to give Kofi most of the credit for how much better the defense is, and we don't have to foul as much because guys driving to the lane, they got to shoot it the over the Nana seven. Agu effect, right? Yes, exactly. And to think that's why last night was so promising against Purdue because the Missouri game and the Michigan State game had me worried. 
uh-oh, here's the freshman dip. Yeah. We're going to go through a month, month and a half here where Kofi needs to find himself again. Nope. And last night he goes out there with authority. And I know that Harns is not necessarily the best defender that you're ever going to see. Yes, he's tall, but he's not really the physical presence of, let's say, well, a lot of the Michigan State bigs that we've seen before, Bingham, like a Tillman, yeah, right? Tillman, or Bingham, Bingham is. Nick Ward. Bing- he looks like he's on stilts. Yes. he. I mean, he had zero points, but he had. Made an impact, though. Yeah, 12 rebounds, like five or six blocks. Yeah. And, I mean, besides a couple of games, we can still – it is just crazy how Kofi has held his own against these big-name big, big name guys. I mean, he took it to Jalen Smith. To Teske. To Teske. He – I mean, Til, Kofi still had a bad game, but he played a lot better than Jeremiah Tillman. More often than not, he is rising the occasion against these big guys. Right. And I like that there are now exceptions. Not The exceptions have not become the rule. Missouri and Michigan State have not become the rule. I think that continues against Wisconsin. Yeah. I'll be anxious to see what he does because for years, Wisconsin in the post has killed Illinois. Right. Now, why not just flip that? And if you can do that, you can actually muck it up with Wisconsin. It's going to be weird to go into that game with a Brad Underwood team and think, you know what, guys? Muck it up. Yeah. And muck it up even worse than these guys. It's If you look at Wisconsin now thinking about that, you know what this team really is missing too is that stretch four. You know, like a, a, a four... That can shoot the three, can drive the baseline. Can Georgie's guard. not that. No, sure. but think about all these guys Wisconsin has had that would have been perfect. Like Nigel Hayes, Kaminsky's no. obviously a uh, that's Four obviously five, but he could yeah, he could, he could shoot the three. Uh, you had all those guys. I mean, and I know those guys almost won the national championship, but just think was about, what was Decker? Decker was still pretty Sam tall. Sam Decker, yeah, I, he played six eight or so. He played with Kaminsky though, correct? So yeah, it was Decker, been, Kaminsky, and the point guard whose name escapes oh, me right now. Oh yeah, Bronson, Bronson, Jalen, or no, no, not Jalen Bronson. Um, Bronson, no, I best said Bronson Arroyo, who's yeah. an old pitcher for the Red Sox back in the day. Man, that was a team. Up. Wisconsin, yeah. Bronson, uh, Bronson Caning. Bronson Kane, yeah. God, he was sort of like the Wisconsin Aaron Kraft. Yeah. But better. Exactly. I mean, I say better, more production offensively. I'm just saying, think about all those pretty stretch fours <clears throat> Wisconsin has had the past few years that Brad Underwood would be salivating over. So this week we're going to go one and one is our prediction. Yeah. A loss of Wisconsin, win at home against I mean, Rutgers, I, hold I'll, serve essentially. I'll admit I haven't watched a ton of Rutgers basketball. I just know they smoked Seton Hall and they've, they're building the program. But... I think you go one and one. I mean, that's just realistic. And then you are now sitting at three and three with a week off before you play Northwestern. Well, that could be scary. I mean, they they got a whole week off. You know, they're playing at four p.m. We don't know. <laughs> that's no. It shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter. Said, it should be a no. six a.m. game, and who would care? Yeah, exactly. You, you need to win those games, and I think they do get these two home games because the Northwestern games at home as two it as is. Well. Okay, so you get a, a nice week to kind of well, I say rest, but I feel like pro- part of the problem with this team so far a lack of rhythm is they've already had two or three extended stretches of not playing basketball. It's been this such year. a funky sc- I mean it, it kind of is like this every year but you have those weird week long breaks you go play the Bragnarites game in St. Louis then you you know And it doesn't help that you had that game and then a long layoff. Right. Cuz exactly. then we aren't feeling good about it and no. it probably just heightens the fact that my god we haven't played in like 8 days. I don't even I don't even want to think about the Missouri game at all. That that, was just... that could hurt, but again, you beat Wisconsin. Yeah. Let's nullify those games in December. Agreed. Make them completely relevant. Uh, just a reminder, DP Doe, of course, you can order online at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices. Fourthandkirby.com for all your vintage-inspired Illini apparel. And, of course, Brian Hansen, your State Farm agent online at brianismyguy.com. Now, before we go, we're going to let you, uh, Isaac... Tell the listeners a bit about yourself. I got two things here. Now, the first is a new segment that we got on the show. It's a game called Punderdome. Okay. I need you to read these 
two words. There's a green card and a white card. Okay. What does the green card say? The green card says ordering food. Ordering food, and the white card says what? The seven deadly sins. The seven deadly sins. So the idea is to come up with a pun relating ordering food and the seven deadly sins. Okay, ordering food and the seven deadly sins. And as you're thinking about that, here's a joke. How were the kittens organized? How were the kittens organized? Um, I don't know. Yeah, Into I mean, categories. Categories. I should have known that. Of course. Okay, so ordering food and the seven deadly sins. Now, we'll come back to that. Okay. Because sometimes we need to think on it. Yeah. Here is a 10-part questionnaire that they said on, uh, that often on Inside the Actor Studio, they would talk to Robin Williams yeah. or Eddie Murphy, something like that. 10 questions, beginning with this. What is your favorite word? My favorite word would have to be... This might sound bad, but uh, I'm not a jock, but football. Football just, <laughs> for me, I've played football my whole life. and You hear it and it gives you a warm and fuzzy feeling. It just makes me think about you know, those great football days. And it is kind of funny because we call American football football, but you rarely use your foot. It should be called handball or tackle ball. It should be. Or something yes. like that. Oblong so, ball. Yes, Because exactly. it's an oblong shape. Yeah. What is your least favorite word? Least favorite word. I thought about that. Oh, it's got to be vomit. Or barf, oh, wow. because I have a sensitive stomach. So, okay. like, just thinking about it's just a nasty word. Yeah. And thinking about vomit makes me want to instantly. And then I get that psychosomatic response, and you might be vomiting yourself. Exactly. Uh, speaking of which, well, actually, not speaking of which at all, what turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Okay. Turns me on emotionally. Okay, creatively. You can go either one of those. You don't need one for each, but right? Creatively, spiritually, or emotionally. Hmm. Someone does something, and you're like, yeah, I, like I definitely that. think I really enjoy people that are naturally funny and okay. witty, and that really just makes me <laughs> like them quicker if I'm like, dang, this person, you know, they got a good joke, and they're not trying too hard. It's disarming when someone can be humorous, yeah. and it puts everyone at ease. And right? they're just personable. Okay, what turns you off? I guess that would be the flip side of things. When I'm hanging out or I'm with people, and somebody's trying too hard to be funny and ah. you're just kind of like, ah, I kind of want to punch that guy in the face. Yeah, you know? trying to be the center of attention. Yeah, and that's not funny or you're just being obnoxious. Um, so I would say turning me off would be somebody that tries way too hard to be funny in the center of attention. Okay. What is your favorite curse word? Now we can't say it's a yes. family-friendly podcast, okay. but what's the first letter of said word? First letter of said word would be F. It's a versatile it's, word. It's, you can use it in so many different ways and... Yeah, it's just got an oomph to it. Every every good movie quote and everything, like if you've seen Step Brothers, you know. Oh, of course. That F and Catalina <laughs> Wine Mixer. And um, um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Rick F and Dalton. You know, yes, just like, you're right. It's It just makes great for a great movie. Quote. One best movie, comedy, or musical last night at Golden Globes. And Brad huh. Pitt won best supporting actor. Great actor. I think that he's. He's understated. He only has to really be Brad Pitt in that movie, yeah. but there's no other guy that could have played that. That was one of the most confusing. Now, I know there was a lot of backstory on it, like it had to deal with um, the Manson, Manson thing, which I didn't know. Um, really? I mean, I did you go? Did you go in knowing that there was the Manson component? So I went in with I went and saw it with a couple of friends who had already seen it, okay. and they were like, "Okay, there's kind of like a backstory to this, and we'll tell you about it after." Huh? So I like didn't really pick up on it, and then they told me they're like, "Oh, that guy, you know, that like he was going up to that person's house and like asking them questions, like that was that was Manson." Okay. And I was like, "Ah, that I makes find more it sense." Fascinating when because I mean, this is just another age difference thing. Yeah. In, in Ten years, but because my parents had grown up 
in they were 14 years old when that would happen okay summer 69 and then there were the trials which were on television there was the helter skelter book and everything which my dad read back when he was in high school so they consumed it mm-hmm. and i think because of that they passed on just enough for me to know Ooh, you know yeah. this is some really dark yeah. stuff so i loved all the context of that oh yeah i always find it interesting when people watch it without that context yeah and so you still enjoyed it i still did enjoy it but afterwards i'll admit i was kind of like what the and and i do just love if there was an award every year for best you know pissed off drunk person it would it would be leonardo <laughs> dicaprio just thinking about you know all the movies he's been in wolf of wall street this one he's a drunk you know and he just plays every part so well yeah he was fantastic it didn't get nominated though which I thought was surprising because I thought he was everybody's good. I feel like character. a lot of people just don't take those movies the right way. I don't know. What sound or noise do you love? Oh, it's got to be a fan, a good old box fan blowing because I, I sleep, I have to sleep with a fan. So just like some sort of box fan, just that constant. Helps we, it's the white noise helps us yeah, out too. Love it. Okay. Now what sound or noise do you hate? I hate if somebody next to me is open mouth chewing gum. <laughs> that. That would put me in an insane asylum right there. Just if I had to sit next to them. If you told me I got arrested and I had to listen to somebody do that for like an hour, I would rather go to jail for the rest of my life. Kind of expanding on that, back at the radio station, we used to have sales meetings on Tuesday. And it got to the point where Stevie had to ask people to not bring food. And it was actually good that he did that. Because sometimes you'll see people, they'll be mid-conversation while they're eating. And they'll do the thing where they put their hand in front of their mouth. As if that's enough. But when you're eating oatmeal... And all the texture and the mushiness of that, and it gets in the way of every word you're trying to say. It doesn't matter if you put a hand in front of your mouth. If you're trying to talk while eating oatmeal, it's disgusting. Yeah. I know it's a very specific sound. That That is terrifying just thinking about, actually. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Or if you had to do college all over again, what would yeah. you go back to college for? I would love um, some sort of marketing or sales. Um, I just like, I like talking to people and get to know people and... Something about just dealing with people, and I like that a lot of salesmen they they move around. They're not just sitting at a desk all the time. That's very true. So your days are kind of new, and you're always you know changing your mind from this to this. And I like the fact that like a lot of salespeople they know exactly how much they're making because you know like okay if I get this sale I'm making this much. You do have some control over yeah. What you so I, I like that idea. What profession would you not like to do? Oh my gosh. I love people that do this, but you know, nursing and working at a hospital and just dealing with people throwing up on me and bleeding everywhere. Speaking of vomit, man. Yeah, speaking of vomit. So I feel for those people, but I could never do it. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? So this is what I want God to say to me when I get up there. I want him to be like, you know, Isaac, I pressed on you being an Illini fan your whole life (laughs) and you didn't murder anybody or, you know, do anything horrible or flip off old people when you were pissed off about that so yeah, don't do that here's a free pass into heaven for enduring the hardship of being a line fan which there are many yes did he come up with a pun seven deadly sins okay something in lust three. gluttony uh greed, greed. envy hmm. envy sloth isn't that sloth. one sloth yeah i believe it is what so, is that eating a lot i think laying around right okay or, yeah that's right that's right sloth. okay greed Envy, Envy, lust, lust sloth. ordering food. Ordering food. So I'm trying to think like Taco Bell. I'm trying to think of the places I go. Um, hmm. Maybe we'll maybe we'll think on that over the I week. I was just going to say. This game is hard because usually they'll give you a minute to think about yeah. it. 
and it'll be a group of like seven or eight people. So naturally, three or four of them will come up with one. The other half won't. The only thing I would just thought of is I like to go to Chick Fil A, so I would get I would like the number one with the side of cold sloth. But oh, that's that is the <laughs> that's pretty good. That okay. is the only thing that comes to mind. Chick Fil A. I'm, I'm trying to think of greed. What goes with greed? Greed. Uh, oh, I got, I got, I got. Okay. Okay. This is so, it's not even good. Yours is actually pretty good. Oh, Cold sloth, Cold right? Sloth, yeah. Go to Panera, get the pick two. I get the chicken and noodle soup. Okay. And the mixed greed salad. The mixed greed salad. Mixed greens. That's like pretty it. bad, though. Yeah. So, what we'll do next week, we'll try to uh, find a better pair of words here. Yeah. It's sounds- like another example would be museums and going to the bathroom. Oof. Man. Hmm. So instead of shed aquarium, it would be. Yeah, that's, that's easy. That's a right? good one. That's a good one. There uh, was one I told Harry about last week where it was poems and I think going to the bathroom. Poems and going to the bathroom. And I said, my favorite collection of American poems is Leaves of Ass by Walt <laughs> Blankman. That's a good one. Okay, right. So we'll, we'll work like on this game. Pund- it, Punderdome. It sounds like we need a, a segment every week, too, just about like. Twitter talk or some, I, I, or some yes. junk that happens on social media, which coach or whatever. Oh, we'll get plenty that. of fodder for that. Yeah. So I figured the social media thing, we can keep tabs on that. Yeah. And then you need to go instigate another few coaches. When you get your Twitter account back. When I is. get my Twitter account back, Illini coaches, watch out. I will be <laughs> making sure you don't say anything ridiculous. Um, what if your whole yeah. thing became you just trying to bait coaches into saying something I just that tweet them like mild trouble? I'll just tweet at an Illini assistant like, man, the wide receivers are were terrible this year. The running backs were terrible this year. I can't wait for basketball, basketball season again. Season, yeah. And then they'll say, ask me if I have any pride and all this stuff. Blah blah that's blah. That's right. Yeah. The best. Do you one, have pride? That's the que- that's the eleventh question of the inside the actor studio question. Man, do you have a line I pride? I you know I think I have a line I pride because. We could lose, like we lost to Michigan State, and I'll still wear my Illinois jersey to church the next day, wow. or like Look still wear my Illinois stuff. And it's like, hard for me to wear a line eye apparel anymore. I don't know if it's age or the fact that we're losing or that couple together, but I I just don't wear a line eye stuff. Kind of disrespectful what Nike did to us too. Not that I blame them; they probably weren't making any money. From Which part of it? The well, font. They, they took us off of Nike.com. Didn't they, they did that. That's correct. I don't like the font. No, I don't care. That for it that's not five years in. It's still not mm. kind of settling. It's, and I, I go to, this is why 4th and Kirby's a great sponsor, is because I go to game day and they're doing their best. And actually, some of the game day t-shirts are, the simple ones are better than the Nike yeah, apparel. Yeah, agreed, agreed. I don't know what Nike's doing with Illinois. It's I don't almost, care about us. And the thing about Nike, too, it's like you could almost slap like the Illinois and Syracuse and I think one other team, their apparel, you could slap the logo on either one of them. The color exactly palette's the, the same. same. Yeah. yeah. It's, and I mean, Nike's just not putting effort into a bolus. And, well, I guess we just... Maybe now we went to the Red Box Bowl. They'll make a Nike Elite Don't bank Red on Box it. Bowl. Don't bank on it. But I do think having gone up to, because uh, my wife is from Ann Arbor, yeah. that area just mm-hmm. outside of it. So when we go up there and we go to the local mall, they got this place called the M-Den. Yep, the M-Den. And it is, you walk through there, and just based on the apparel alone, I want to become a Michigan fan. Everything looks super cool. I agree, but can I say... I. I'm not a fan of the Jordan logo on the football uniform. It kind of maybe if Jordan was holding a little football up there, then it would make a little bit more sense. Don't disagree but, with that. Don't disagree with yeah. that. But the apparel, just the it's normal sweet. stuff. I mean, it looks other than fresh. the football jerseys. Yeah, I agree. But even then, one thing they're doing that I don't understand is their away uniforms. They got away from the yellow pants. Yeah, they're going all white, and I don't think that looks nearly as cool as the yellow mm-hmm. pants. I mean, I'm 
I despise Michigan, the University of Michigan, just because I have so many back home Michigan fans that because Grand Rapids, you would yeah, I'm Grand so Rapids. from Grand Rapids, okay. so Michigan fans they're always rubbing it in your face. I mean, and I even had a couple when we beat Michigan a few weeks ago. I basically had a couple Michigan fans texting me saying, "Oh well, this game didn't matter to us, or uh, we'll, uh, we'll beat you by 25 in a few weeks," you know, so <laughs> just stuff like that. Like, can't I just? I mean, I'm an Illinois fan. It's not like I get these moments very much. Yeah. It's just like, don't rub it in my face that you guys are, seem to be good every year at both sports. Which, the Jim Harbaugh thing is ridiculous. Like, Michigan fans thinking they need to move on from him. and He's Lloyd Carr. Oh He's one in nine games a year. I would chop off my That's right Michigan arm. Football. I would chop off my right arm if you told me Illinois would win 10-11 games every Is that year. hyperbole or literal? <sighs> if you can... 9-10 wins a year for the rest of your life, would you chop off an arm? If Josh Whitman came up to me... Well, I mean, we're just on the radio, so I don't need that many of my limbs yeah, anyway. Yeah, no, of course If not. Josh Wishing Whitman came up to me and said, hey, I made a deal with the devil, all right, he needs your right arm, and we will win 10-11 games in football every single year, maybe win the national championship every once in a while, I would consider it. Okay, wow. You have far more Illini pride than I do. I mean, just think about how awesome that would be. I'm keeping the arm, and I'm going to just start buying Michigan apparel. That's I, the kind of fan I am. Yeah. <sighs> Looks really cool. That is actually a good thing to consider, would you rather? Wow. Okay. Would you rather cut your arm off for nine, ten wins a year, or, yeah. well, I guess the alternative is you just keep your arm and you you roll the dice. I would. And you hope that they do because it wouldn't negate the fact that they might still win nine, ten games yeah. a year. You just would not be guaranteed of that. We gotta add in. Let's say like you're forty or forty five, so your life's like halfway done. Yeah. Because see, for me, like my right arm still got a lot of life left, but like if you're like forty five or fifty, it's like. I'm about to retire. I you got a really bum shoulder. Yeah, I'm just going to go lay Chop on the it beach. Off. Right, exactly. I would like to find an older Illini fan willing to make that sacrifice. I'm okay. We should get Josh Whitman on this right away. Yeah. I mean, he can write a letter to the yes. fan base in search of a 70 to 75-year-old man's <laughs> bum shoulder. We're going to chop your arm off, and we're going to sacrifice it to the gods of football when 9-10 This is a new, new form of recruiting, recruiting old old people to sacrifice their yeah, It's very Salem Witch Trial-esque, right? It is, but I like it. Okay. Fire like and brimstone it. with Illini football. They might yeah. need it. I mean, we need something to change things up. We need it, man. We got Trevor next week, Good and deal. we have two games to talk about, Wisconsin and Rutgers. If they go 2-0, and oh, we got a very different show to do yeah. next week. If they go 1-1, one and one, it feels like kind of status quo as they enter a week where they don't play again until next Saturday right. against Northwestern. Northwest. But in the meantime, Wednesday's a big game. You'll have basically 48 hours to consume this before it's totally irrelevant. Or maybe not. I mean, let's say they lose to Wisconsin by eight. I think everything we said today kind of holds true. Yeah, I mean, it's basically what we predicted it to be. And I just think that's a big game. There's few games in this whole season, you know, that are that big that could change the narrative of the season. And Swing games, I mean, we right. beat Wisconsin in football. Let's go ahead and knock out that streak and beat them in basketball. It's been since 2010 because they've won at Kohl Center, and I think 2012 or 13 that they won at home against Wisconsin. Against Wisconsin. Yeah. And as I look back at the last decade where you've won one game against Wisconsin in basketball, that being at home, that Wisconsin game on the road in 2010 was five days after game day came to town on a Saturday. You went on the road, 8 o'clock, Tuesday night tip, I think, what, four days after that. And you beat them after Pat Summit, I think, got her hmm. thousandth career ah. win. It actually got into the first four minutes of the Illinois-Wisconsin game. We're getting really aggravated. Huh. Turns out that was a great game. Yeah. Dimitri McCamey was a total stud. And we thought at that point, man, not only is Illinois going to make the tournament, what seed are we going to get? Well, friends, that Illinois team did not make the tournament. Man. But they reached the NIT quarterfinals. That's an at home against Dayton. That is an accomplishment. Do you remember that game? I do not remember that game. Not worth remembering. I do remember 
Brad Underwood, that that's this is kind of random. Nobody was at the Boise State NIT game a few. He years was ago, though, but Brad Underwood was there, and I, I was, remember being yes. so excited. I was like <laughs> close to the court side, and I still remember him walking up and everybody thinking, because I mean, we all have to agree that was that was a good hire when it happened. No one questioned it. I don't think I, I do not recall there being a lot of criticism that hire. Even for me, I felt like. That's a great choice. I mean, no, it's it was like everywhere this guy's go, everywhere this guy goes, he's winning big games, going to the tournament, and we'll see. Hopefully, I'm not sitting courtside at an NIT game in a couple years while they introduce the next guy. Yeah, who would be that next guy? Roger Powell. Roger Powell comes home. Okay, I think he needs to be a head coach first, but it would be nice to down the road. You tell me in 2030. Roger Powell's your head coach. 2030. I like that. Okay. Or is, Inheriting is, an already uh, is, revived Illini basketball program. Is D Brown or Darren Williams is done with basketball now. Yeah. Well, he could do the Juwan Howard Later thing, on, but he'd yeah. have to probably make his rounds in the NBA for a right, little bit. Yeah. And enough. then join an established program. Yeah. Because that's what that's why Juwan Howard's going to work at Michigan, at least for a bit. It was established. And now if he recruits, he's going to be fine. I was gonna, he's already recruiting. I, if I'm a Michigan fan, though, I'm this is way off the beaten path, but I'm worried. How like how does Juwan coach? Because because he's got Phil Martelli from St. Joe's. Right. Yes, I did see. I saw that. But he, of course, he's gonna be able to recruit. Yeah. And of easily get guys there. Just be like, hi, I'm Juwan Howard. And he can always find some right. 65 year old guy that's not coaching somewhere anymore. Just sort of like Phil Jackson back in the day was much more mental. Yeah. Kind of coach than he was the next as a nose guy. He had Tex Winter in the triangle offense. And Phil Jackson's job was basically to manage the Bulls. Yeah. I know it's apples and oranges, college and pro basketball. But you get a guy like Juwan Howard that knows Michigan basketball that knows the identity and really can kind of cultivate that sort of identity they had mm-hmm. back in the early 90s michigan it, they had the, this aura about them that i love john beeline yeah uh and i never felt good when illinois played john beeline teams but with the early 90s michigan teams good luck oh yeah you know, so it will be interesting to see how he develops that i like having that kind of star power in the league yeah I thought it was an inspired hire that could have backfired, but I don't, I don't think it is. I think he's no. going to be just fine. Seems to work out. All right, so next week, big week uh, as we come back for episode 56 wow. of the 200 level next week. But for now, episode 55, signing off. We call this one Boiler Breakers. Thanks to Maverick Lurk for the title on Twitter. So yeah, next week, big week to talk about. Isaac, thanks for popping over. Hey, it's great to be here, and hopefully next week I got my Twitter back. That would be nice. We need you back on Twitter. And Selena Gomez. If you're listening, you should at least give me a shout out because I've gone through a lot of pain for reaching out to you when I was 12. She never reached out to you ever on Twitter. I don't remember. So, I mean, I feel like I would remember that if Selena Gomez reached out to me. So, well, especially if you were 12 years old. Oh, yeah. It would still be pretty cool. All right. So, Trevor, back next week with me and Isaac for the 200 level. Thanks again to DP Doe, Fourth and Kirby, State Farm Agent Brian Hansen, partners at Illini Inquire, and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network for Isaac Ambrose. Mike Carpenter here. We'll see you next week on the 200 level.